from the top on down. Here comes a one-two pitch. Red Sox win the World Series. Five to one the final tonight. And the best team in baseball wins it all in 2018. Inside, hiding from the cold November rain that is officially over Buffalo, New York here in 2018. It is the Sportscasters Podcast, Season 8, Episode Number 15. I think I said the wrong episode number last week, but I got it right today. It's Episode 15 of Season 8. We have a good show for you today. It's a classic Sportscasters episode with two of the all-time Sportscasters greats. We have... Jeff Perlman is here today for his long-awaited interview about Football for a Buck, the crazy rise and crazier demise of the USFL. Jeff's going to join us to talk about that. We'll do that first. Uh, Then we'll go into the book club. Uh, We'll update what's going on with Jane, who's really ready to go, waiting on me to finish her book. And we'll also talk a little bit about The Last Days of Letterman. Um, Also today, Adrian Dater, uh, my friend and sometimes podcast partner on Lonely End of the Rink, uh, was in Buffalo, New York a few weeks ago, ready to hang out, spend some time, get to meet in person, do some dinner, and then the dater jinx nearly killed me and put me in the hospital, Uh, and Adrian and I will talk about that. The point was to talk about hockey, but I don't know how much hockey we actually talked, Uh, so it's kind of more of an hour of just kind of fun and bullshitting, uh, which is pretty cool and works really good on this podcast when we do it. Uh, and then we're going to close out with one last thing. Uh, don't forget you can find this episode of the Sportscasters and all episodes of the show uh, on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. You can also find it on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And if there's somewhere where you'd like to hear it and it's not, you can uh, email me, the sportscasters at gmail.com, and I'll try to hook that up. Uh, Bill McGrath emailed me over the week. Nice to hear from Bill. I hope he's feeling well. Uh, and he got a copy of The Big Fella by Jane Levy, which we'll send out to him. I still have one copy left. If anyone needs one, you can email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com. Uh, also, you can find me on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Uh, and with that said, you know, we have two interviews. They're both an hour long. So there's no long, no real reason for me to go long here. I got some plugs out. I got the show set up. So let's just do it. Let's start with Jeff. Uh, and let's talk about the USFL, the crazy rise and crazier demise. All right, our first guest today is from Mayo Pack, New York. And he's a graduate of the University of Delaware. He wrote that crazy John Rocker article in SI and since has become one of the best sports authors in the country. Yeah, he writes books. And he's got a new one out called Football for a Buck. The crazy rise and crazier demise of the USFL. A Warren Sportscasters, welcome to our friend, Jeff Perlman. What's up, Jeff? How's it going, buddy? Uh, I'm very well, thank you. I like, 
I like when you have a conversation with a host beforehand, and then because I do this in my practice, <laughs> but then you have to kind of pretend that you're having that to talk. So then you go, "Hey," I always think like with Kimmel or like Fallon when the guests come out, and they're like, "Hey, it's good to see you," and the kiss and the kiss, but like, you know that happened 20 minutes beforehand. I think you know. I just read this book called "The Last Days of Letterman." It's like another book that we've been mm-hmm. working on um, for the book club to do something a little different. Mm-hmm. And David Letterman was kind of notoriously standoffish, like with guests in that way. I think I heard that. And actually, I think I said that, but I think I heard Kimmel say recently that he does not like to engage with guests before they come on because he doesn't like being a phony when they come on. Right. And then there was the whole thing with Carson with the comedians about he would like wait for them to do their set and then the comedians really knew what he thought based on like he would either give a thumbs up that was like he kind of liked you but like if he invited you over to the couch to do a quick segment after right before it ended like that's when they knew that he really liked it like someone was in with Carson I think Carson is really interesting that's a guy I'd like to read like a really good book on I don't maybe the already exists um it's gotta be one. Yeah, it's gotta be, right? It's gotta be one out there. Because I just yeah. read this Letterman book and I'm like, yeah, it makes me want to know more about Carson, I guess. I read that really yeah. good book. Is it called is it just called The Late Night Wars? That was really great. I read that a few years ago. Oh, I didn't read that. Yeah. I got it. I'm, I, it's definitely a book I have like a, I read on my like one of the first books I read on my iPhone when I realized like I read your whole book just now, Football for a Buck, which we're going to talk about mostly, The Crazy Rise and Crazy Demise of the USFL on my iPhone. And you know why I love it? Because I can, go to, I can go to bed with my wife, and she can sleep, go to bed at 10, and I can stay up and read till 1, and she has no idea that I did it. See, I am a... I don't need a light. Like, I don't like, need anything. You just, you, just, you just need it to sound like it's porn. You're like, it's great. I can I can have my phone. My yeah. wife's sleeping. Yeah. I can, I can do it, and she's not even going to know. It's like USFL porn. <laughs> well, the porn, I mean, if I oh, break out, if I break, I could do the porn without her knowing, too, if I'm, but then you have to be, yeah. you have to be still. The War for Late yeah, Night by, by Bill Carter is the book I was, I read. The War for Late Night. Um, I'm actually... I'm actually in a rare moment reading a book that has nothing to do with anything I'm writing about. I'm reading a book called called Fame by Justine Bateman. Um, Justine Bateman used to be an actress. Yeah, oh yeah. Back in the 80s, she was big. And she wrote a book just about fame. Like, it's not a biography, not a memoir. It's about the weirdness of fame. And it's, um, I gotta say, I heard on Jay Moore's podcast. And um, it's great. It's really weird. It's great. So Interesting. I'm looking at it right now on the uh, in the bookstore here. She she writes it like like a like you would describe a really weird picture, like an unconventional picture with a weird wind up, kind of hokey jokey. Like it is not smooth, but it's really well written and it's unconventional. And there's not the structure is way all over the place, but for some reason it really works. It's like a uh, stream of consciousness sort of thing. I, I actually love how much on it. The coolest book I've read, not for this show, like just like a kind of like you said, like just something for pleasure, was there's a guy named Clint Hill who was a Secret Service man for a long time. And I'd read one of his books, like I've read like probably 30 Kennedy assassination books now. And the first one I read that he wrote one about, you know, all about being one of the Secret Service guys on this, obviously low moment in the history of the secret service if that's even 
describing it correctly. And he wrote another book called Five Presidents, which is about his time with each of the five presidents that he served under. And it was really cool. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was just really cool because it's just like a totally nonpartisan look at, I think, from, you know, Eisenhower and then the next, you know, Eisenhower is the first one. So it starts with him mm-hmm. and then goes Kennedy. through Kennedy or whatever Johnson. is the last one. Maybe Johnson's the last one. Johnson, I think, is maybe the last one. Um, but, yeah, the Kennedy detail was um, by this guy named Gerald Blaine who was one of the Secret Service guys. So then this Clint Hill guy wrote a book. Yep. and ah, It's really cool. Five Presidents is really interesting just to um, – Yeah, I love books like that. I am um... – it's funny. I'm always asked, like, so what's your next book or what's your dream project? And the rest of is one of them. And I would love to write um, a Gerald Ford biography, like a great, great Gerald Ford biography. So who that knows? Do you read those? Who's the guy who just did the Bush one? That I have it. I haven't read it yet because it's so big and daunting. The Bush, the W or the uh, Bush Senior? Bush Senior. John John Meacham. Okay. Oh uh, no, I um. I read a really good, there's really good Bush, I read the, um, Bush's W's autobiography and I thought it was great. I didn't read the whole thing. I kind of jumped all over to different subjects. I mean, I think it was by my side for about half a year. I actually found it fascinating. I mean, you know I'm very liberal, but more than being very liberal, I love presidents. Yeah, I, I love presidents too. Presidents. I love them too. Yeah. That's why I'd never Not that- get too down on any of them. I mean, I know that could take us down a dark path. That's what I'm struggling with. Yeah, I got there. I know. I know. I get it. Yeah, no, this John Meacham book, the the American Odyssey of George Herbert Walker Bush, Destiny and Power. It was a huge book, yeah. maybe two Christmases ago. But he's the one. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He's wrote a few now, a few big presidential ones. So I wonder if he's gonna do more. I don't know I, much about him. I, he could be ninety, and that's actually, it. You know what? I own that. I own that book and um, the Meacham book. I realize now because I thought you meant it was recent, and and it was a couple years ago. And um, what I actually love in there. Like, this is the kind of stuff I love, and this is actually the kind of stuff I feel like, and I think you'd agree, we are lacking under Trump, is, so after, it was um, Bush ran against Dukakis, and Bush had Quayle as his vice president, and uh, Dukakis had, oh no, excuse me, I'll take that back. Bush was Reagan's vice president, this is um, in 84, and they ran, um, Reagan was running against Mondale, and Mondale's running mate uh, was Geraldine Ferrara, the first woman to be on a major ticket. Um, and after Bush, uh, Reagan Bush won, Bush invited Geraldine Ferraro and the guy who played him in debates for the Democrats to lunch at the White House. And Bush brought the woman who played Geraldine Ferraro in debates. And they had this lunch. And Bush gave Geraldine Ferraro at the end of the lunch like a vice presidential watch. And they had this cool. really loving relationship. Wow. And I just think there was a classiness back then that sadly we do not have right now. And I actually, I really long for that. That pains me as much as anything is just the lack of decorum that we have right now. And it was so, there's just something there. I mean, that was a fierce debate. That was a fierce election. I mean, Reagan trampled all over Mondale, but it was a heated election. Was that 2149 states? Uh, Yeah, he only won. um, Minnesota, was that the one he lost? District of Columbia. I don't even know if he won Minnesota. I think he only won the District of Columbia. He may have won District of Columbia and Minnesota, but it was a romp. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, football for a buck: the crazy rise and crazier demise of the USFL. I've read this book cover to cover, and I have many questions for you. 
Here's where I want to start. Let's start with this. So one thing you said many times is my agent said nobody wants this book. Publishers, nobody wants this book. Everyone tells me nobody wants this book. I'm going to write it anyway. I took less money. Mm-hmm. Here we are. What it came out September 11th, I think, or right around there. So it's been yeah, yeah, yeah September 11th. About five or six weeks. Did were was everyone right or were they wrong? Do people did people want this book? No, they were wrong. Um, but I will say, it was the the perfect time in my career uh, for this to happen. Which is to say, I don't think I could have promoted a book like this uh, seven or eight years ago. Like this was the right time where this book needed to be promoted hard, like hard, hard, mm-hmm. like gangster, gangster, hard. You needed to be out um, there. It was not going to sell itself. And I, I just, I had to be out there and I had to call in every favor and I had to really push it hard. I had, um, I had, you know, Connor on my podcast last week. He's a great guy. And he was, I don't, I, I only know Ian from working. Like, I, I don't think I've ever even met him, but he said, he's like, I've never, he goes, I would give you a book deal right now because if a book's going to sell a hundred thousand copies, you're going to make it sell 120,000. And, um, it was one of the nicest compliments I've gotten in a long time. But I do think like I push a book hard, you know, and I yeah. like I think I've met enough people in the business now where I can call in favors or at least ask or at least get the books in front of the right people. And I I think a book like this needed that. Now, did Trump help? Because was it was oh, was the ability yeah. to say, Hey, there's this Trump piece, did that kind of broaden the scope a little bit of who would spend fifteen minutes on it, maybe? See, it's an interesting thing. It definitely helped promote it. I don't know how much it helps sell, sell it. it. And what right. I mean is it got me on MSNBC. It mm-hmm. got me a column in the New York times. It got me twice on MSNBC. Actually, it got me in a lot of like different avenues. I also think though, I, I think you'd agree. Like I would almost feel, so I probably did 180 interviews for this book and there would come a point. Most interviews would start with, why'd you write the book? They'd ask about the two new spring leagues, uh, the two new football leagues. They'd ask about Herschel Walker, why the league succeeded. And then they'd say, there'd be like this transitionary moment where they'd say, uh, now I can't, I can't let you go without asking about our 45th president. Right. <laughs> and I, in my head, I picture 40% of the listening audience leaving. <laughs> and then, and I picture 60% staying. And as soon as I'm telling the story and talking about Trump and sort of the negative impact he had on the league, I picture another 30% leaving. So I don't know. Yeah. And you know, He's the worst part of the book. And I don't know if it's because he takes the fun out of the league, just in general. You know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, we're on this, like, the first three acts, like, are this, like, each chapter starts with these anecdotes, which I think is really cool. And they're all these, like, fun stories, and it's cocaine, and it's million dollar giveaways, and it's they sign this guy, and they sign this guy, and it's optimism. And then he he brings the gloom, right? So I don't know if it's that or. And it's like just kind of a bummer, like, you know, he's the bad guy in the book, one of them. Or if it's yep. just a fatigue about him in general, which I know I've expressed to you, I have in spades. And I think almost all of us do. Yeah, me too. Yeah, all, all of us do. Me too. I mean, you don't – I think I've, I've said a few times, maybe to you, maybe to others, and I'm, it's not like I'm the inventor of this, but it's like the thing he's the best at is making everything about him. So it's like yep. I always try to fight against that, like – how do I make sure what I'm doing isn't about him? Like even when we were having that discussion yeah. in the beginning, I was trying so hard to like 
make it not be about him. You know what I mean? Like, I just wanted to talk about things, not that guy at the top of it or whatever. But I don't know, man. Yeah. I'm glad people wanted it. And I'm glad it worked. I was really curious to see what you'd say about that about that answer. Um, yeah. Let's get into some of the fun stuff about it. Let's, let's go there. Uh, I text you about, like, so the book is full of these cool stories of, like, the things the teams did to generate buzz in the beginning. And there's this cool anecdote I'm going to let slip out on you about how the Tampa Bay bandits were kind of the Kings of this. And they did a stunt where they gave a guy a million dollars. So I'm reading it. And I knew that I knew there's going to be a catch. And the, and the catch is that it didn't start until 2005. And it's like $50,000 payments, yearly payments in two, starting in 2005. And I'm, like I got my calculator out and I'm like I'm like is there a guy in Florida somewhere like literally getting payments right now cuz he won a contest when I was 3 years old I'm 38 years old like this guy won this yeah. money when I was 3 and he started getting the, the payments when I was 25 like that happened like and so this oh, brings amazing. me this brings me to like a question which I really was curious about because I heard the guys who did the Andre the Giant documentary did you see that on HBO yeah, it was great. Yeah, it's awesome. So the guy who made it was talking, I think, to Bill Simmons, who was part of it. And he was talking about how the hardest thing was how everything with Andre the Giant was legend, kind of. And he was trying to figure out how to deal with that. Like, how do you... So what he did was he didn't put anything in the documentary that wasn't either someone saying they did it with Andre. So like a firsthand account, like... I was there when Andre did this, you know, or other stuff you could verify. Like, how hard was it when you're shifting through, and I know how thorough you are, how hard was it to separate what really happened in this league and what became legend and what became, uh, you know, these stories that just grew over all those years? Like, how was that one of the bigger challenges in putting all this together? Because for me as a reader, you know, the, the, that was a challenge. It actually... Um... It wasn't as much as you would think because it's kind of interesting. Like um, Andre the Giant is a good example, or even you could use like whatever. I wrote a book about the '86 Mets, right? And people talk about the '86 Mets still, 32 years later. Or they talk about Andre the Giant and the legend of Andre the Giant all these years later. So stories about Andre the Giant that started this way, they grow and grow. You know, Hulk Hogan tells it to. Uh, John Cena and then John Cena tells it to someone else and the story grows and grows and grows, right? Or the 86 Mets, oh, you had to be there. There were 10,000 people there. No, there were 40,000 people there. Right? He, like, hundreds, like, stories grow. But the USFL, the funny thing is, is like, nobody was really talking about it. <laughs> like, so it's not like, it's not like all these years later, people are like, oh, Bob told me this story and then I told it to Jim. Like, these are stories that almost, for the most part, either came from I mean, I interviewed about 400-something people, so either straight from people or from newspaper accounts at the time. Like, there are very few, like, you know, like, Greg Fields, the guy who punched his coach. Like, I first found out about him because I was with Tom Ramsey, the quarterback for the Express, and he's like, you got to find this guy big paper. He has some stories for you. It wasn't like people have told the stories of him for years and years. Nobody even remembers the stories of him. So it was like... It was it it was a weird combination of really old but really fresh material. Big paper, the hardest guy to cut. <laughs> uh, yeah, love that guy. 
what did you you did 400 interviews did you find 350 guys who were dying to tell these stories like finally you showed up i've been wanting to tell someone oh yeah yeah is that yeah yeah it wasn't finally but it was like oh you want to talk about the usfl also it's like it's like you know people be like oh the usfl or steve young and jim kelly and herschel walker and but those guys really the guys who became superstars there are not that many of them so the the most of the guys you're interviewing are the guys who wound up being a high school teacher for the next 25 years or a truck driver or, you know, a mathematician or whatever, a plumber. And those guys, if you call them up and you're like, Hey guy, who's been a plumber for the last 25 years, I would love to interview you about the greatest three years of your life. Right. It's the best thing they've ever when done. When do you want to do it? Right. When do you want to talk? Yeah. So like, the excitement level. I've never had it like this, where it's just like one interview. And the other thing that's beautiful about writing about a league as opposed to his team is there an, there's truly an infinite number of football players to talk to. So I was, I didn't have, I only had a year to do it, but I was like one after the other, after the other. Okay. Next, and, you know, Abbott Adams, you know, Amos, blah, 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 one after the other, after the other, just someone's going to talk to me. And if they don't talk to me, I'm just going to go on to the next guy. Cause there's always someone else. Obviously, Reggie White has passed away, but did you talk to some of the other superstars, or did, did most of this come from the from those guys you're talking about who just want to, like Steve Young, Jim Kelly? No, I talked to um. Was there anyone I got you Steve Young? Yeah, I got, I, I got Jim Kelly. I didn't get Flutie, and I didn't get Herschel. They wouldn't talk. Huh, I do not know why. The the big three I didn't get were uh, Trump, Herschel, and Flutie. Flutie isn't as big as people think. He only played for a year, right, in the league. Um, but mainly, I got. I mean, there were guys like Brian Sype. I never got Brian Sype. But when I didn't get Brian Sype, I just moved on to the next quarterback. And um, As I've said to you before in the show, and I've said to a million different people, like, it's not about the superstars. Like, the best interviews, the most important superstar interviews are not the superstars. It's the guy who is around the superstar. You mentioned Sype and Flutie, so let's talk about them for a second. Because here's the thing I struggle with when I'm reading the book, is I went into it, wanting to feel really bad for the USFL. Like mm-hmm. I almost went into it wanting to f- with this, this is my attitude going in. And as I'm reading it, and especially in the beginning when it's so fun, the first, like the first 250 pages of this book are just like fun story after fun story after fun story. So I love about it. And I went into it thinking like, Oh man. And then, you know, Donald Trump's going to show up and ruin it. And it's just going to be another thing you ruined. And it's going to be such a bummer. But, like, as I'm reading it, it's like, okay, he's an easy scapegoat, but, like, they fail in New York, L.A., and Chicago. You can only blame one of those on Trump, right? You know, like, I'm reading your – you're talking about, like, how they don't need Flutie, and your backup for it is is that the quarterback they have had 17 touchdowns and 15 interceptions. And I'm like, wait, so why don't they need Flutie? Like – why and it's like there's so many contradictions in the book like that where it's like I see the USFL is doing this thing or someone in the USFL is doing this thing and I'm like well that's really sometimes you are on the side of like hey look at this dumb thing they're doing and I'm on the side of I don't know if that's dumb and then other times it seems like you're on the side of hey look at this really smart thing they're doing and I'm like well wait a minute that's smart and I it's, that was actually kind of a fun thing about the book where I almost felt like I was debating with you a little bit as I'm going through it. And I don't know if it's because I know you or if other readers are going to have this, if you've heard this before from people. 
But it's like actually I haven't. The whole thing, the whole league is such a, it's such a, it's such a puzzle to me. Like I don't know. Like, and I think that Sipe Flutie is like a great example of it. It's like you say in the book they don't need Flutie. They had this guy. He had 17 touchdowns and 15 interceptions. I'm thinking that sounds like it sucks. I think they needed Flutie. Wait. Well, first of all, first of all, I do have to say in defense of Brian Sipe, I know two things. Number one, if you look at um. You have to, this is more like football geekiness, but if you look back at quarterbacks in the 80s, their interception totals were laughable because there was um, there were just fewer regulations on defensive backs. I just had this talk the other day. If you took Tom Brady and all of a sudden in, uh, put like 1984 NFL rules on him, his stats plummet because defensive backs could beat the shit out of the guys. So a lot of the really, if you look at like Joe Namath, I mean, he was mainly a Archie guy, Manning but was also a good 70. example. No, oh, Archie Manning, yeah, even like Terry Bradshaw. And Brian Sype in the NFL, like all these guys, like their interception totals were preposterous. It was just a different game. Jim Plunkett. So like Sype was great. Also, the generals had no wide receivers to speak of and they had a mediocre offensive line. So they were like, Sype was really good on a, uh, I don't want to curse you, on a really bad sort of uh, offensive. He had no weapons except for Herschel, which obviously is a big weapon. Right. He had no receivers to throw. But the main thing is, is like these guys threw a lot of interceptions. But Sype was a really good still a very good professional quarterback. And um, the funny thing about Flutie is, like, Flutie just wasn't very highly touted. He was famous because he was a Heisman Trophy winner. But you're talking about a guy who probably would have been a fourth or fifth or sixth round pick in the NFL. Especially back then, nobody was looking at a 5'9 quarterback. Nobody. So, Yeah. And that's just, like, kind of one of, like, a, like I guess a bigger point I was trying to I make. know what you mean, though. Yeah. I actually, wait. I'm going to tell you something. I'll tell you something that um, I never, I haven't said anywhere. Like, I am well aware that it is like, in a way, like an imperfect book. I mean, all books are imperfect, but nothing's perfect. But like, I actually get it. The U.S. of L. There are a lot of contradictions there, and like, it's like Trump was the ultimate guy who ruined that league. But did he? Was he single-handed in ruining it? No. Like, people say, "Oh, the U.S. of Steve Young said to me not that long ago." He's like, "I think the U.S. of L. could still be around today," and I go, "Huh? Yeah." But I don't think so. Like, they screwed themselves up a million times over. It's like you just said, the Washington franchise was a joke. Chicago was a joke. L.A. was a joke. Like, Trump Trump was a villainous figure because everything he did was for himself and for the good of him, not the lead. Um, but there's a lot of, like, it's not as simple a story as, like, Trump ruined the U.S. of L., wash your hands of it, and move on with life. Like, that was a league that did a lot of self, you know, there was a lot of self-inflicted damage in that league. Yeah, and I don't. I don't think I was trying to make a point of like Jeff wrote a bad book or something. I think it was more about how complicated the story is. Where I went into it with this mentality of everything was going good. Trump sh- showed up and and fucked it up. Whereas when I read it, it was like listening to Chris Cornell lyrics because Chris Cornell writes co- contradictions in his lyrics. Like you know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling, um, I'm I'm looking California, but feeling Minnesota. That's like the USFL to me. You know, like this whole book, I just yeah. kept finding these contradictions where it's like the first half of the sentence is good and the second half of the sentence becomes bad. It, it's like a, the, the crazy rise and crazy demise of the USFL is like a Soundgarden record because it's just full of funny. all these contradictions that bump up against themselves. And as the reader, the whole time, I'm trying to figure out where you stand which as a writer is probably nowhere. You're just put, you know, putting it in. Yeah, I don't have to stand right. Anywhere. You don't have to stand anywhere. But as a reader, mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, 
all right, so is he trying to lead me down the path that these guys are smart? Is he trying to lead me path down there dumb? And then sometimes I think it's A and sometimes I think it's B. And I was sometimes agreeing and sometimes disagreeing. So it's, I'm saying it's a fun part of the book because it turned out to be a more complicated story than I thought going in. And I wonder as a writer, did you find that too? Did you find you had one idea of what the rise and demise would be and found out that the rise and demise was more complicated than you ever thought? I mean, I think writing is like the big, to me that the, uh, the whole challenge, one of the big challenges of the book is as a, as a whole is like, you're jamming a lot of stuff in a three year period in a 300 page book. And there are a whole bunch of different elements at play at the same time, you know? So also things just like politics, like sports leagues aren't nearly as simple as we want them to be. And, um, when did this league, when did the demise really start? Who exactly caused it? When was it officially, you know, going to happen? Um, was there ever a shot at living? Like they're not all easy they're not overly simple questions to answer, you know, and they weren't for me either. So, and also like, I mean, here, here's the ultimate contradiction for you. I met, I know owners of that league who, who blame Trump, who thought Trump was a villainous son of a bitch who hated him as much as you could hate any human being. And I'd be like, Oh, so are you voting for Hillary? No way I'd vote for that woman. I'm voting for <laughs> Trump. Like That actually, and that happened multiple times. And I'm not even criticizing those guys. Those are, these are some of these guys I became pretty good friends with. Like, right. I'm just saying, like, it's all a big contradiction. You know, it's all, like, really confused. Sometimes things just aren't that easy to figure out, you know? And and I thought the USFL, I mean, I loved writing this book. I loved it. But my least favorite parts were, were like, you know, demise and who's responsible and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just not that easy. It's kind of a pain in the ass, and it's not that not that simple. Now, you were going to announce today on this podcast that you're writing about Kobe and, and the Shaq yeah. and the Shaq Lakers. I forgot. That's okay. I forgot I did it. Sorry, man. That's all right. Yeah. Um so here's what I was wondering. So you Nobody cared, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> you you work on a passion project like this, right? And it's yeah. your dream book and it's something you've always wanted to do and you have this amazing year and like you have all this fun doing it with your son, which I wanted to maybe talk a bit for a minute about like about how you have this amazing son who knows probably more about the USFL than anyone in the world but you, maybe. And uh, you guys did a lot of the re- – he helped you a lot. And I mean, from what I follow the, from your social media, I'm not trying to be more personal than I should be. Yes. Um, I'm sorry. So my question was, so now you're back. This project ends. You turn it in. You sell it. and You do your interviews and whatever. The, the process plays out, right? But now you're – this is what you do for a living is you write books mostly. So now you're writing this book that I assume is not a passion project, but more of a, okay, one for me, one for you kind of a thing. Like how, what, what was as a person, as an author, what is it like to transition out of a passion project into more of a routine work like project? All right. That's a great question. Um, first time I've been asked that, that's really good. It is, um, First of all, I am psyched for this book, and I do get into every subject I do. Like, I, I'm not just saying that. Like, I really do. Once and I believe going, that. I believe like, that. Oh, this is great, and you find stuff. Yeah, right. But you're right. Like, the US of L was the book I've been waiting a decade to write. And so then you work on it, and you can't wait for it to come out. And it comes out, 
and it's out and you're appearing on TV and you're crisscrossing across New York City and it's just the most exciting thing ever. And then it kind of slows and slows a little more. Then and I you're call. like, ah, I guess I gotta, I guess I gotta get back to the Lakers now. And, and it's like, it really is. A, I keep thinking in my head, it's like, um, it's like getting on a bicycle halfway up a hill and you got to start pedaling. And it's like, it's just hard. It is hard. It's really hard. And, you're unmotivated and you keep Googling to see if anyone else has written or reviewed about your USFL book. You know, it's kind of done. It's hard. I, 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 I can't, it has to be, it has to be like when someone is done, um, filming a movie, you're on a movie set and you're having a great time. And whatever, it's two months in Australia and you're all filming in Sydney and it feels like summer camp and you're away. And then one day it's like, all right, we're done. We're done filming. Now you got to go back and go about your life and do a commercial. And you're like, oh, that's it. So it's 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 kind of depressing. It's a little hard. And then you get used to it and you get back to it. But it's not easy. It's definitely not easy. Did you expect that? Yeah, because I've done it before. I mean, even though um, it's uh, the thing is like, we all complain about promoting a book, but promoting a book is exciting. You know, it really is. It's like, well, but you Mom wouldn't come. To me. Hold on, hold on. I, maybe I, I yeah. uh, let me just back up because I, I think maybe you, what I mean is, did mm-hmm. you expect coming did you expect coming off the passion project specifically did you expect the transition to be the way it was was it or was it maybe like um less jarring or no, more because, jarring no no okay no it's all the same okay. it's always the same i mean always maybe it's a little more because this was really i mean this was really fun but it's just like wait the quote i like is lee montville he said to me a long time ago he's like uh it's like that he said it's a really unnatural thing you basically spend two years in the dark in a cave and then you come out for two weeks to be in the light and then you go right back into cave. And this, um, that is really what it feels like. And it's, it's hard. And like people always say, Oh, I hate promoting a book and blah, blah, blah. But like, I mean, the reality is like being on TV is fun. Being on the radio is fun. Like people asking you questions about yourself is fun. Seeing yourself on a bestseller list is fun. Like it's all the reward. You know, we all say it's not the, it's not the reason I write books, but it's a payoff for writing books. So, all of a sudden that comes to an end and it's like, Oh, and then you start, you know, you, uh, your book slips on Amazon. You know, I think I'm like 6,000 on Amazon, you know, and you stop looking and the reviews that were coming every day, two or three at a time at Amazon, they kind of stop coming. And you know, it just, it just becomes that thing. And then you, it, it's cool because it's, it's how it should be. I mean, after a while you do get, you get sick of hearing yourself talk. So then you get back to it and you get back. And now I'm, I'm happy again. Now I'm actually, I like being back on the grind again. Right, you get to that point. I, you know, and I, and I, I think we could probably have had this discussion almost every book. I was just more interested this time, I think, because I knew how much this book meant to you, you know, and how much passion you had for yep. the subject. And well, you know, I've talked right, to you for every book since Sweetness. We've talked every book since Sweetness. So we've talked Sweetness, yeah. Showtime, um, Five, and this one now. So four in a row. And yeah, I think we've had. Like I've looked forward to all, f- all. F- I didn't know how. I didn't know I would love sweetness. Is my favorite. I think I've told you that. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't know it that I, when I opened it, I didn't know I'd like it that much. I just thought, oh, cool, you know. But every book since then, obviously, because we've developed a relationship through the podcast, and um, mm-hmm. I've looked like I would never have cared about Showtime, but because it was your book, I was pumped for it. And I think we've had enthusiastic conversations about him, but. 
don't know. This one just felt different even for me reading it, preparing to talk to you about it. It yeah. felt different because I knew how much you cared well, about I, it. The thing is, I think what will happen is like, so some of the books, like I realized about two months ago that I literally had no copies of my Roger Clemens books in the house. And I recently ordered three on, on uh, I think, eBay for like three bucks each just so I could have copies of my own books around. Like there's certain books, I mean, they're all meaningful because you worked on them, but there's certain books that kind of fade. And I think the US of L book, I still have the US of L book like near my toilet. And I'll look <laughs> at it sometimes. It's not like I'm looking at it. It's like, it's more like, holy shit, you actually did that. Like you had this idea. My wife, I think I, I might have said this last time we talked, like the one thing she said to me early on when I was like, I don't know if this book is going to do well. She said, you know, whatever at the time, three weeks ago, she's like, three weeks ago, nobody was talking about the USFL. Like it was not, it did not exist as a conversation in America anywhere. And she's like, no matter how big or whatever your book sells, people are actually talking about the USFL. And that's because you wrote a book about it. That's and, cool. um, that, yeah, that means a lot to me. Yeah, good point. It just kind of means a lot to me. Like, there was not a USFL book, and now I wrote one, and there's a USFL book, and people go to the library, and they'll see it there, and it exists. And that's, to me, it's not the first USFL book, but it, it's the one that sold the most, so that's cool to me. All right, so you can take this one, you know, as far or as not far as you want, and I'm not trying to mm-hmm. be too personal, just based on stuff you mm-hmm. shared on social media. But you, okay. you and your son did a lot together in the research phase of this book. You would post cool videos of like tracking down people or you know whatever, and and just kind of interacting with him. Like, was that unique this time, or is it just the first time you kind of shared it, or what was it like, kind of like working with Emmett on this, like his role in it, and you being a dad writing this book, and how you included him this time around, or is this just something I'm perceiving based on a glimmer you're putting out into your life, and I'm just missing you know, the rest or do you know you're uh, you're dead on. No, 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 you're dead on. Um, so Emma is 12 now and you know, he's at an age now where it's old enough where he can, he's old enough where he can sort of uh, care. I mean, like I had when my daughter, Casey was, I think in third grade, I'd written the Barry Bonds book and I went to her class to talk about Barry, the book and writing books and Barry Bonds. And, and you see your kid and kind of the thrill of it all for them. You know, your dad's here and he wrote this book and he's talking to kids about writing books and that's so cool. And through the years, I've had little moments. Like I I went to Emmett's elementary school and I brought him to press credential from one of the things I spoke at and I gave him all press credentials and they were thrilled. um, But this was, this whole thing was a different level. Um, Mm -hmm. I took him, I took him on some of the reporting assignments. Famously, I took him to find Greg Fields. It wasn't my best parenting moment, (laughs) but it was super fun. And, um, it wasn't dangerous. That's the thing. It kind of sounds more dangerous. And, um, you know, we talked a lot about it and he, you know, he got a bunch of USFL jerseys and my daughter got USFL sweatshirts. And, and, um, it was just, you know, it's like one of those things. I remember being a kid, my dad was just a, he, I mean, not just, but my dad was a, uh, he, he worked in executive search. He was a headhunter. And I remember like going to work with my dad sometimes and just thinking he was Superman. You know, or my mom was a probation officer. I remember my mom telling me she had the option of carrying a gun and she decided not to. You don't have to be tough to carry a gun. And I just remember being blown away by my mom not carrying a gun and just that kind of toughness. And I think we, we, we forget sometimes when we become parents what it is to see a parent through a kid's eyes. Um, so once Emmett showed an interest in his book, I was just all about it. And I would talk to him about it all the time. I'd run things by him. I took him to find a quarterback named Ed Luther. I took him to find Greg Fields. I'd read him parts of the book. 
Um, we'd watch USFL videos. When the book came out, he would help me promote it. He would, um, we'd do these video sessions from his bed, like Twitter live, uh, Periscope, uh, you know, and Facebook live feeds. And it was just, it was more than anything. It was just a way of bonding. Like I didn't need, I didn't need him to make the book work, but it was a real fun way of bonding and, and sort of doing something together. So, and also I thought it was a small world kind of thing. Like my daughter, Casey, her math teacher last year was the son of the punter for the Oakland invaders. <clears throat> just by, uh, excuse me, just by pure coincidence. So, um, there are a lot of small little cool things uh, with the U.S. about with both my kids, actually. That's awesome. Like, I don't know, just, you know, I'm a young parent, so like, mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm learning and I, I'm actually, I, you know, I recently had a bowel blockage. I actually talked about this on the podcast last week and I had to spend six days in the hospital. I kind of traumatized my daughter. It's the first time. You know, she spends a lot of time with me because I take care of her every day while my, my wife works now because of my illness. And, um, yep. you know, she got separation anxiety and stuff. And then when I came home, she wouldn't leave the house. She, you know, like, and I felt like, oh man, you know, this is the first time I screwed, I screwed, I screwed her up a little bit, you know, like, cause I think someone told me like, oh, you have a kid and it's a white canvas and you're going to start putting your paint on it and make sure you put pretty paint on and don't, you know, screw her, screw her up. I think they were kidding. You know what I mean? But like, and I took it personally. And so I, you know, after all that happened, I was like up late, like not sleeping the first two days. Like, Oh my God, I've, I heard her, you know, the first time oh, I screwed up or whatever, but you know, then they're like, resilient, man. but they, and then she forgot about it and she, she forgot it before I did. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're very she, yeah. They're very she, yeah. She don't care anymore. She, mm-hmm. she's over it. She'll never remember it in her life. Probably. But, um, mm-hmm. like, because of that, we, you know, like I set up a microphone for her in the podcast room that doesn't work. And like earlier I was doing an interview and she sat in the chair the whole time and she was telling my wife she was working with daddy or whatever. And just, I was just thinking like, Oh, I'm going to be talking to Jeff tonight. I got to make sure I ask him about Emmett just because. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. No, I, I, love was, that. I, was I mean, curious. they grow up so quick. They just grow up so fast. And, uh, you know, again, I think they see us bigger than we think they see us or we remember what it is. You know, and, uh, so any chance to sort of bond over this stuff. I mean, my son literally owns, my, my daughter owns an Oakland, uh, Oakland Invaders and Oklahoma Outlaw sweatshirt. I know Tampa Bay Bandit sweatshirt. My son owns a Doug Williams uh, Oklahoma Outlaws jersey and Ed Luther Jacksonville Bulls jersey and a Greg Seals LA Express jersey. Like, he was into it. They were hard into it. Now, by, by the 100th interview, like literally, I'm standing outside right now because nobody wants to hear me talk about the U.S. about the house anymore. <laughs> it's it's so done. It it's pa- it's over. over it's the heart over. <laughs> yeah, it's over. But so, it was nice when it lasted. So, Ivan, what do you think of the Lakers? <laughs> can I can I, yeah, can I interest right. you in Kobe Bryant? Right? <laughs> um, <laughs> did you did you see who uh, uh, was his name? Who was married to uh, Vanessa Williams? Um, Rick Fox. Oh, Rick Fox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like, hey, you want to go track down Rick Fox with me? Um, I just actually, I caught him with Rick Fox. Uh, football for a buck, the crazy rise and crazy demise of USFL, Jeff Perlman. I could talk to you for another hour about this, and maybe someday just for fun we'll do another hour, maybe when the um, paperback comes out. But before I let you go, and I know right. it's getting late, I want to talk about the best American sports writing real quick. We can just do five minutes or ten minutes. I think you're the only one who reads these books, to be honest with you. <laughs> you don't think the other interview – what percentage of the people who interviewed for the book did you feel read it? Oh, I actually mean the best American sports writing. But oh. I would say even the USFL book. Yeah, but wait, I would say um, 
20, 20 percent, maybe okay. 15. Okay. Yeah. Very low. That sounds about yeah. right. Yeah, I am probably the best American the, sports writing. I don't know who reads anymore. Me neither, but it's I just love it. Like I think I told you I have like I think ninety maybe it's the first one I have. I have them all. And mm-hmm. yeah, I always want to know who the editor is gonna be because like I'm like hopefully it's not Michael Wilbon or someone I have no chance to get when he in the year he was the Oh funny. Yeah. yeah, like I knew like as soon as I saw his name, I'm like, ah, oh, he's never coming on. You know? Mm-hmm. But um Let's see. Since we started the podcast, Jane was the first one, so she came on yeah. obviously, and she's been on ever since. Wilbon never came. Mulringer screwed me over. Do uh, McDougal was amazing. We had one of the best interviews in the history of the show. Uh, Wright Thompson, yeah. I tried with ESPN, but it just never worked out. Oh man. Um, Rick Talender, I never had. I don't know why. I don't no, Rick know, is great. I don't know what happened with him. Bryant, I never had. So, wow, I actually had a three-year drought there. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, not good. Okay. So here's what I understand of this. You get a stack of articles that are just printed out, and you don't know – I mean, unless you know, which is part of what I'm going to ask you, but like, you don't know who wrote them, where they were published. Mm-hmm. It's just a stack of – of like printouts of articles that have been weeded down by Greg, by Glenn Stout. And then you get to pick out of that pile what you want to be in it. Right. Is that correct? Basically the process? No, no. Okay. That is incorrect. Okay. That's that's how it was explained to me by McDougal, I think. Yeah. No, Glenn, um, Glenn, who I've, I've known for a long, I don't know if I've ever met Glenn in person, I've known him for a long time. I've talked to him on the phone, blah, blah, blah. But Glenn picks out whatever he'll send, I don't know, 150 articles. Now, he makes it clear, though, you can pick. It is completely up to you. If there are articles you've loved from throughout the year, you can pick them. If, if, if you pick every story from Glenn's stack, that's great. If you pick none of them from Glenn's stack, that's fine. It's what you want to do. So I read through all of them. Now, he sent a ton. I guess, if I read the first five paragraphs and I was just like, man, I'm not feeling this, you know, I'd move right. on because like, it, you, don't have, you don't have 150 years to do this. Um, and there were articles I'd read throughout the year that I, as soon as I found out I was going to do this, I knew, I was like, well, that's going in there. That's going in there. Um, and it was weird. Like, there there were a million different paths stories took to getting in that book. It's actually funny. It reminds me of, um, you realize how, like, like people's sexiest man list, just as an example, stuff like that. It's also arbitrary. You know, it's like some editor happens to have a crush on Ben Affleck. Well, there you go. You know, like, you never know. These lists are so silly. And even this, like, there's really... There's no such thing as best American sports writing. I mean, some of these stories, no one would have batted an eye at. Other ones are a million people would have, and it's just me deciding. So it's kind of silly. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I think I did know you could, you know, deviate from the list of what he picked out. Yes, um, and you know, and I deviated more than anyone ever. I think. I think uh, Glenn said I deviated more than anyone ever has. Interesting, because I remember, yeah. and so my guess is probably McDougal maybe is the least because what he told me was I don't think he picked any outside and what was interesting about his is it was the first one without anything from SI in the history of the series and and he's just like I had no idea he's like I didn't know what was in SI or what was in you know he's like I had no idea I just went through them and picked the ones out or whatever so like I wonder was it important for you to balance where these things came from no, 
was, zero percent important. Was it important? Um, to, okay, one more. Was it important to yep. you to balance who wrote them? No. Okay, no, so you zero. didn't care about um, man, women, race. Oh, that's interesting. I would say I really want to dive. I want a diversity of subject, definitely. Okay. I I would hate to do one where it was all white men writing the articles. I mean, it's just such a diverse world that I think it would be a little weird. Um, but I think my number one by far priority was just having really good writing in there and trying to mix up sort of what the stories were about. You know, I could have had, I could have had 24 stories about CTE easily from this year. You know, there were so many good CTE related stories or football destroying people's stories. Like that would have been a very easy thing to do this year. The other thing is like, I didn't even say his name, but the thing like Glenn sent a ton of stories. They were all really, they were all good. There was not like there was a, he sent a crap in, but it was a lot of uh, first person experiential stories. And it's not that I dislike those, but I didn't want a ton of them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I do also, I was, I guess I'll say like, you could also make, I mean, look, I could take, I don't know, Wright Thompson, Chris Ballard, Lee Jenkins, um, Tom Berducci, you know what I mean? Like uh, Sally Jenkins. Right, Jenkins, yeah. Russian, Howard right. Bryant. I could take like, you could give me eight. I could take those eight and come up with a book right there of stories they wrote. You know, like, you, but I don't want to, that I don't want to do. Like, I didn't want to do that. I guess I did, I did value sort of diversity of voice. Like, I was thrilled. There's one story I read. In fact, I read it because he was on my podcast. He was a writer for the athletic game, Chantel Jennings. And, Dante uh, Pettis, know, I, right? Is never, that the Dante Pettis one? Yeah, the Dante Pettis story. Yeah. And um, I only knew about this story because she was on my podcast and I was researching stuff she wrote. And I remember reading that story and being like, God, I love this story. And that's why she got on there. And then um, the other one, Dave Kindred wrote a story for the Athletic. Those are the two athletic stories. And actually, Glenn had that one among his. But I remember reading that. I think Seth Davis told me about it. And I was like, I read it. And I was like, God, I love this story. And when they told me I was going to be editing it, I was like, well, that kindred story I'm going to put in there because I freaking love that story. So there's some of those. Then there was, um, I have a friend named Michael Lewis, not Moneyball Michael Lewis, but a writer named Michael Lewis. Yep. And he was like, he's like, you need to read the story. I'm born to be a Vandy boy. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, God, it's the best story I read this year. And um, so that one from, from Baseball America, that was just because my friend told me about it. And I read it and I was like, this is really good. And then like, there's one from uh, SB Nation by Tyler Tynes that I loved and it was about him. You know, he's an African-American journalist and sitting in the basement of the white house when Trump is inviting the Pittsburgh penguins. I just saw it was really smart. So there's all kind of different, you know, uh, the Monty Williams story by Chris Ballard. I mean, I just, I just love that story, you know, and, and, and the Lee Jenkins story I took Lee Jenkins writes a million great stories. I think I surprised him because the story I used was a profile. He wrote of Jimmy Butler that I loved, And I don't even think he loved that much. But I just loved it. So I was like, screw it. I'm the editor. I'm putting nothing in. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I, over the course of the... I have this really cool app. I don't know what it's called. I'll look so you can download it because it's really cool. Um, it's called Nuzzle. N-U-Z-Z-E-L. And all it mm-hmm. does is tell you what articles people have retweeted from your Twitter. So, That's I mean, weird. like, it doesn't do, like, anything crazy but like i'll wake up and i'll look and i'll see like 
like today, the long way up. It's a Paul Zimmerman story that SI reprinted because he passed away today. Yeah. And like nine sports, it. nine sports writers I re- follow have retweeted it. So like, it's really cool yeah. to like get those stories, like the big story of the day, like the, you know, the day that whatever the Lee Jenkins profile came out, mm-hmm. it was probably on there. And like, I'll, I'll do what you do. Like, Oh, that's a, that's the best American sports writing one. Like I remember, I think right. it was in last year's book when Tommy Tomlinson wrote about the fat quarterback from Kentucky. Uh-huh. I'm just like, that's definitely going to be in the book. Like, wow. Yeah. You know that. So, but you have a lot of big names in yours. Like you have, I mean, you have Ballard, you have Thompson, you have Sally Jenkins, you have. Yeah, but they're great. Yeah, Lee Jenkins, you have. I can't believe they lost Lee Jenkins, hey, by the way. You have Bryant, yeah, you have Russian. Yeah. Kindred, even. I mean, like Russian. The Russian one was not, the Russian one was not one that was with uh, the Glenn stuff, but I remember reading it and being like, God, that's so freaking good. And and I still love his voice so much. Again, like I'm, I'm the, even in the, the one in a way I like the most, in, or that I put in there, there's a Sally Jenkins column. It was just about Eli Manning's last game last season in this miserable game. When there was a short column, I'm sure she wouldn't rank it among her all-time greatest things she's ever written. But I just thought for what it was, it was really brilliant. So I was like, screw it. I think that I'm putting that in there. It's kind of weird. You just have, you kind of can do whatever the hell you want. Was it cool to have so, a gamer in there too? Because I mean, that's... Yeah, yeah, totally. I yeah. mean, again, like it's the one, the one trap of it all, and I definitely fell into it a little bit. Is like you could have every story be these sort of poetic, you know, the coach whose wife died, the guy, the Larry Johnson story, which was great by Kent Abbott, but the CTE, um, Michael Brooks, uh, and, and the son he forgot. I mean, you know, these long sort of opusy stories, and sometimes it's nice to have like a quick Steve Rushing column about his, his, his wife or Sally Jenkins with a game column, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. It's cool. Sometimes I like worry for the gamer, you know, like I was talking to Damon, Hack. Damon, Hack, Damon Hack was on the show last week. Cause I thought it'd be cool to just have a lifelong Dodgers fan on just, you know, to do something a little bit different instead of just like I had uh, Jeff Hassan on too, you know, so we covered the world series. So it's like, what else could I do? He's like, oh, I'll have a Dodgers fan on. It'd be fun. And um, the first time he was ever on the show was when he was at SI. He had written a week one, you know, week one gamer Jets and Broncos Monday night game. And that's why I reached out to him because it was so good and so cool. And it's like that does, mm-hmm. that story doesn't exist anymore. Like SI doesn't cover games. No, it's pretty much dead. Yeah. Yeah, it's dead. Yeah. It's a bummer. Yeah. All right. Well, listen. That's life. Anything else you want to mention about the best American sports rings? I mean, it's so late. I've kept you so long. I could go on, but I mean. I mean, I think the one thing about it is, uh, and I'm not just saying this, and uh, you could be quiet if you agree, but like when they asked me to do it, I was like, I don't really, I mean, I was honored and thrilled and it was like, yeah, absolutely. But like, I don't, I don't really think I'm at the level of the other writers. Like, I think it was a little bit of a, of a weird reach. Like, I don't, and maybe it's just, we never see ourselves as others do. I it's don't that. Know. Like it's I, that. Never... I disagree. Is it though? Yeah, it is. I, I disagree. Know. I don't know. Maybe it's cause I'm, mm. maybe it's cause I know you in this context. Yeah. Maybe, but I, dis- I don't know. I mean, I disagree. Like, do you know what? I'm being serious about this. I swear to God. Like I, this is not false. Anything or false modesty. Like 
I do not think of myself as one of the great sports writers in America. And whenever I do an interview and someone says one of the best sports writers in America, I'm always like, I appreciate you kissing my ass, but I do. I'm not, I'm not Wright Thompson or Rick Riley, or, I mean, I know people have their issues with different writers, but like, I don't know, just a guy who freaking writes books, you know? And I don't know. I just don't see myself at that level. So when they asked me, I was like, yeah, it's great, but uh, they gotta be someone better, you know? Whoa. And I, I will say one other thing too, which is, and I, I don't mind saying this, like they need to diversify that list in a huge way. I mean, there's been one woman ever. Jane was the only woman to ever be an editor. That is so laughable and so preposterous. Um, you said this last yeah, time, I, but I, if I you start that. with Jane, it's a diverse list. Cause I really, Isn't it? yeah. No. If, if you start you have more women, see, if you start you with Jane, okay, but then you're going to, but, then who you, I mean, who are you going to take out? You could take Wilbon out. Then you're going to say you need more African Americans, right? I, no, I would take me out first of all, and I would like. I'm being serious about this. Sally Jenkins. There's no reason she. I'm doing that book before she. Do is. we know and for sure she? Farmer. Do we know for sure she was asked and or wasn't? No, I don't. Okay. But I, 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 it'd be hard for me. But, but I'm just saying, like there are other Claire Smith. I mean, there are a lot of. I don't see Glenn. I don't see Glenn Stout as a. I see him as a very. I mean, isn't he like from the like a hippie commune in Vermont? I mean, they have like I don't know. I mean, they have a very liberal series editor. Yeah, no, I just don't get it. I don't understand it. How do you have a how do you have this book for all these years and have one woman? That doesn't make sense. They need it doesn't make sense. Look at Jane is a great like one of my favorite people in the world, and she had an amazing book. I can't disagree that there shouldn't be more than one, but if you start with her. So if you start in 2011, I think they've done a fine job balancing it. I guess so. I don't even know the list, but I'll take yours. I know Howard did it. I know Wilbon did it. I know uh, I represent the Jews. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, and like, you know, Wright Thompson did it, right? So I mean, like, he's an all-time great, he's right? Mississippi. So he deserves, yeah, yeah, he deserves he's a shot. No, and you know what? I, like, going back to what you were saying, like, because you're making a fair point, I'm I'm pushing back against it just because I love the series a little bit, and because I would I guarantee that it's on Glenn's mind too. I bet. Um, yeah. But like, if you think of singers and bands, right? Yeah. Like sometimes, like Mick Jagger is an all-time frontman, right? But is he a great singer? I don't know. Right, yeah. Chris Cornell. And Mick Jagger, who has a better voice? Well, Chris Cornell, who's a bigger sure. rock legend, while well, Mick Jagger, right? So, like, right. sometimes you're Chris Cornell and sometimes you're Mick Jagger. But Chris Cornell and Mick Jagger are both Rock and Roll Hall of Famers just for different reasons. Like, no one's going to be Frank DeFord ever again, right? But that doesn't mean you don't deserve to be on a list with Frank DeFord. I don't know. Mm. I'm not trying to kiss your ass. I'm just saying that, like... I appreciate that. There's different... Yeah. When you go through, since 1991, I'm looking at the list I have it in front of me. I mean... You know, there's Michael Lewis. Right? There's yeah. Peter Gammons. Well, certainly not Michael Lewis. Right. Michael yeah. Lewis, Peter Gammons. I mean, there's legends. For, yeah. you know, legend's sake. And then we're also talking about someone who's mid-career as well. Right, yeah. so like it's almost not fair to compare you to Frank DeFord in 2018, is it? Yeah, well, I agree with that. So yeah, I agree with that. 
But Frank so DeFord, I, I be, um, but Frank DeFord did it when he still had twenty plus years of his career left as well. You know, he's probably already a legend at that point, but I mean, he still worked for twenty more yeah. years. So I, I would say this: like um, I was reading the other day the list of number one NFL picks, and like you know, you have like the Tragmans and the uh, I don't know who the other whatever Peyton Mannings, and so if DeFord is like you know Peyton Manning. I'm like Alex Smith. You're certainly not Jamarcus like, Russell, though. You're not. I'm not Jamarcus Russell. Right. No, I'm like Alex Smith. I'm like uh, mm. i you know I'm not you know I'm Alex, but I still have years to go. So then I don't know. Maybe I can be Jamarcus Russell. No, <laughs> you're well past Jamarcus you Russell. Know. What? Let's, well, I appreciate that. Let's end on this. This is a fun one. Yeah. Good. Two more books. You you write two more books. You write you know this basketball book. Then you do another football one. Maybe you do a baseball one. Whatever you write. Maybe a few. I do Gerald Ford. Maybe you do Gerald Ford. But finally, you get back to number two on the Jeff Perlman bucket list book because you've got number one crossed off. I mean, it's not really Gerald Ford, right? I mean, like what is truly? If this was number one on man, yeah. if nothing mattered, and I could write a book. Number one on that number one on that list was football for a buck. So, what's number two? Like, what would if if you're probably not mm. going to say because of the paranoia yeah. thing? But like, I will say, okay, number one, number one is not football for a buck. Number two would be football for a buck. Number one would be uh, Tupac. Okay, so why? Okay, but that seems very doable. You couldn't sell a Tupac book, sure. Uh, I I so I was working on a proposal and I found out that another writer was doing one. Uh, I'm not sure if he's actually still doing one. So if that fell through after the Lego book, I'll do a Tupac proposal. But interesting, yeah. that would be really interesting. Tupac's my dream book. That's really oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I love that book. Yeah, I have a, I'm a hip hop guy actually. I could care less, but yeah, if you write a Tupac book, yeah. I'll read it. Yeah, he's an interesting. Yeah, I mean, I know nothing about like Babe Ruth from Baltimore. I know almost nothing about the man. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I know he yeah. was a. Re- you know, I have one Tupac story. I'll tell it to you real quick and we can go. When I was a senior in high school, our senior class trip was at Cedar Point, which is about three hours from Buffalo. Yeah, I know where it is. Yeah. So we took a bus there. And so, like, I went to a Buffalo public school, so I went to a diverse school. So the bus is probably 50-50, African-American, white, 50 80, 20 girl boy, because it was an arts academy, so almost all girls. So it's me and this African-American kid named Michael Scott. We're sitting next to each other on the bus. And he played a song called Wonder Why They Call You Bitch by Tupac. Oh, this thing hates to solve your game. Yeah, I know that very well. Approximately 60 times on the way to... Cleveland to the point where I knew every word in this song and was just clowning around with these guys with the whitest dude in the school, you know, the total rock dude rapping in the back of the bus on a senior class trip to a song. Wonder why they call you bitch. And still to this day, like every three months I will have to pull that up on iTunes because it just, it's a fun memory of being 18 and dumb and having fun with, a kid I didn't know that well in school, but we ended up sitting next to each other on the bus and like just kind of having that fun moment. And then we didn't get to ride. We were, I said, "You, I'm going to teach you a song on the way home. But he ended up sneaking an exchange student from another school into his room and getting kicked off the trip like the second day. 
Oh, so, bummer. So we didn't. Yeah, we didn't get to drive back to each other. Yeah, but yeah, it's a great song. It's a great song. Yeah, I know. Well, funny. You wonder why they played your ass. I think he says it. <laughs> I haven't listened to it in a bit, but like when I when I listen to yeah. it, like I I get right into it. You know, like I know all the words. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great song. You it's betcha. I, I just, I mean, I feel bad yeah. for her because she ended up with the HIV. You know, and she. Right, that song? Yeah, right, she. I can't miss thing. You just saw your game. You're with it. Oh, yeah, you're right, actually. She does. That yeah, she ends up with the HIV and she dies and she had kids and everything. Yeah, you know, and I just, I feel bad for her. She's a tragic figure in that, that Tupac song. Yeah, she has another song called Brenda's Got a Baby. Where Brenda, she yeah. That was the first the Tupac song I ever heard. That was the first one I've ever Yeah, it's a great song. Yeah. yeah I love that song. I remember, yeah. I remember the moment of like everyone being like, oh, it's so heavy. You know, like, oh my God. Like, because yeah. I, was, I was a kid. I was probably yeah. 12 when that came out or something like that. Yeah, it's a little too literal. I mean, it's not as good as some of the other songs, but yeah, it's a good song. I guess time's getting harder, even harder for you now, because hey, now you got a baby on the way now. You got a baby on the way now. Yeah, yeah. more money from the county, and thanks to the welfare, you're about to get your hair done. I mean, he's just brutal. Done. He is brutal in this. He does not hold back yeah. on on her. Okay, here it is. Here he says, but now things change because you don't look the same. Let the ghetto get the best of you, baby. That's a shame. Caught HIV, and now you're about to be deceased and finally be in peace. So where are you at now? Because everybody's left. They stepped and left you on your own. See, I loved you like a sister, but you died too quick. And that's why we called you bitch. I bet you. Right. So there it is. But it's kind of a, uh, it seems like an offensive song if you just hear the title. But there's actually a deep meaning to it. Yeah, no, it's not at all. He's telling a very Mm -hmm. deep story there. It's, you know, it's something that at the time I didn't get it when I was 17 or whatever. But all right, well, I'm excited for the Tupac book. You sold me. I'm ready. Yeah, nice. Sweet. All right, man. Um, football for a buck. The crazy rise and crazy demise of the USFL. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Perlman. Be careful there. It's a dangerous spot, but go for it. Um, <laughs> he's got a podcast himself, two writers uh, slinging Yang. So I'm wondering when Ben Shapiro is going to be on. Probably any week now. That was my that was my guess suggestion. See if that ever happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what else do you got going? The quad? You still do the quads? Yeah. Every week. Why haven't I been a quaz? Yeah. You want to do a quaz? Yeah, of course I do. I'm desperate for right, I'll, I'll I'm desperate you. for promotion. I consider you for future consideration. Yeah, I doubt it. I doubt it happens. I've only Well, the quaz is available at Jeff Proman Jeff slash quaz, so check that out. Anything else you want to promote? No. Did I get it all? My wife's book. My wife's book, ignore it. Ignore it. I read it. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I sat in Barnes and Noble and read for like two hours while my daughter played with kids and whatever she does in Barnes oh, yeah. and Noble. So yeah, I, I the uh, best parenting book of the year. I try to ignore it, and she was on uh, this podcast uh, talking about it as well once. She was. Uh, she was. Indeed. She was on. It was very fun. All right, man. It's late. I kept you. All right, Steve. Long. Thank you so much. All right, I'll let you go. Have a blessed evening. Could've used a few pounds Tight pants, points, hollering out She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes And 
points all her own, sitting way up high. I want to thank Jeff Perlman for being on the podcast today. Truly one of the sportscaster greats. Football for a buck, the crazy rise and crazier demise of the USFL. I still have an unclaimed copy if you're interested. The sportscasters at gmail.com. Uh, also, we talked about the best American sports writing 2018. Uh, Jeff was the guest editor this year. The series editor is Glenn Stout. Ten bucks you can get this on Amazon and it's worth every penny. I have all of them going back to 1991 or something like that. A cool collection. So thanks to Jeff for being on the show. We're going to get to Adrian Dater in a second, but quickly I want to update some things. Uh, first of all, the last days of Letterman, the final six weeks by Scott Ryan, it's in stores now. Uh, this book is available. Um, so at Scott Luck story on Twitter, uh, is a good place to start. St- ScottRyanProductions.com. I'm going to reach out to Scott. Maybe we can have him on next week. We can talk about the last days of Letterman. Be fun to do something different and talk about uh, late night TV for a bit. Jane Levy got the big news uh, this week. The big fellow right to the New York Times bestseller list, which is probably no surprise to anyone. The big fella, Babe Ruth, and the world he created. I am about 100 pages in, and I am going to bust my butt and hopefully be able to finish it this week. And uh, maybe next week's show, maybe we're looking at Jane and Scott, and it's a big book club show. And I'd be totally cool with that because that's easy for me to book. Uh, so hopefully that can work out. Hopefully I can finish the big fella this week, get a lot done this weekend, um, and see how that goes. Uh, look at Jane, Jeff and I talked about it a bit. I mean, she... She's an all-time great at writing about baseball players, and uh, her work is overwhelming. And um, I don't know if I wanted to read a Babe Ruth book, but 100 pages in, I want to read this one. So uh, one of those, as I said earlier, one a copy of that book was claimed by uh, a sportscasters, uh, one of our great listeners, uh, Bill McGrath. Um, and hopefully that's his name. Hopefully I'm not screwing that up, although I don't think I am. Um, yeah, Bill McGrath. Got it right. Uh, Bill, hope you're feeling well. Thanks for reaching out. I have one copy left of the big fella. The sportscasters at gmail.com. Just email me and ask for it. That's all it takes. Uh, and again, I do have a copy of the USFL book as well. All right. Let's, uh, let's have some fun. Uh, talk with, uh, Adrian Dater. We went all over the place. We talk about kiss in the beginning. We do talk some hockey. We talk about Jack Leichel. We talk about Nathan McKinnon. The two big stars of the teams where we live. We talk about Adrian nearly killing me um, with his dater jinx. So let's do that. We'll take a break. We'll we'll hook up with Adrian. And then after that, I'll be back. We'll do some plugs. And we'll do one last thing. All right, our next guest is a crazy tall SOB out in Denver who covers the Colorado Avalanche for BSN Denver. He's my partner on the Lonely End of the Ring podcast and a good friend, a warm sportscaster's welcome, 
to Adrian Dater. What's up, AD? How you doing, buddy? Oh, Steve, I'm hanging in there, man. Thanks for having me on the pod. Uh, it uh, seems like old times right now, doesn't it? So we have to talk about the ultimate Dater jinx, but first, I got to get your opinion on something. All what? Right. What is with Kiss going on the Tonight Show and pulling a Millie Vanilli? How do you pulling a what? They played their track. They, it was totally pre-taped. That wasn't. Did you see it? No, I didn't see it. What they, did they do? They played the tracks. They didn't play live. It's just it was a bullshit performance. Oh my god! They lip synced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh god! Really? I yeah. did not see this, and I. Shame to say I didn't see it because I'm a known as a kiss, kiss, uh, you know, uh, historian almost. I think it was Love Gun. I think they played. Well, you know why? You know why? It's because Paul Stanley can't sing anymore. Right, and they're doing this. this And they're doing this to sell the tour, so they weren't going to risk him skunking it. Well, and now they want to do like an end of the road tour, which has like fifty cities on it. Of course, not Denver. Thanks a lot. Kiss for ignoring the city with your biggest fan in it, and uh, uh, now they've got to go through a fifty-day tour. They they made you know they're going to tour elsewhere too, the U.S., Europe. Paul Paul can't even sing live on the Tonight Show now. That's sad. And singing, I didn't know that singing is one thing, but it looked like they went all out tracks. Like it looked like they were all just up there. Well. I actually listened to a recent podcast with Paul Stanley on it. I think it was a Rolling Stone podcast. And uh, he did say something about how when they're on TV, sometimes they will have the, I think he called it like an augmented sound. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, essentially not calling it lip syncing, but, you know, uh, kind of lip syncing. I didn't understand all of it, but. If, if that's what they did, I mean, yeah, I mean, Kiss is, Kiss, this whole tour is just a disaster waiting to happen, you know, Paul can't sing, they don't have their most popular guitarist still in the band, Geese Fraley, who they stubbornly leave out, want to play Tommy Thayer for another tour, I tell you what, I know Kiss fans, I am friends with millions of Kiss fans, so and they are not going to show up for this tour just because Kiss says it's their last tour if they don't have Ace Fraley and or Peter Chris playing on this tour. That's that's going to be a and they're gonna not be going one of the to. worst tours ever. And the, te- the te- and, and if they don't, then if they don't, then I'm not going either. Yeah, and I'm the- not even going. Despite the fact that they snubbed Denver, one of their most loyal, supportive cities ever, uh, they snubbed Denver. Despite that, I might have gone on a road trip to somewhere to see them, but. You know what? Not not they're gonna just gonna keep snubbing Ace Frehley, especially Ace, who's you know cleaned up his act. I know he was you know an alcoholic and drug addict for a few years, uh, and you know was completely unreliable. And the band had her every right to Paul Jean had every right to feel snitty about that. But uh, you know he's cleaned up his act. He's playing better than ever. His albums outsell Kisses now. He's still putting out albums. And yet they won't have Ace in the band. They want to play with this fraud Tommy Fair who puts on Ace's own makeup, and, you know, being a tribute band, essentially. No, no, I'm out of that. I, and that hurts me. That, that wounds me deeply as a Kiss fan to say that. 
And, uh, you know, I'm not going to be suckered into some money grab again by Kiss at the end of the throw. They have to have Ace or Peter and or both, probably both, or else uh, this is going to be the worst attended concert since, uh, you know, uh, it's, Final it's been Tour. real hit or miss, the sales, from what I saw. There's a few markets that did well, but there's a lot. They're going to have to do a lot of work. And they, they had their, I saw they started their um, cruise yesterday, and Ace played with them in the acoustic because he will play if there's no makeup. You know, he'll, he played like two or three songs with them. I don't think he went on the cruise because I think it was just a little set they do like on the dock to like kick it off. So I don't think he went on the whole cruise, yeah. but he did play. You can look up. I forget it was like three songs he played, but you know yeah. that's out of makeup, yeah, and he's cool with that. And maybe uh, over the course of the tour, he might do that. He'll pop up at a gig or whatever, play a song or two. But he's not going to come out on stage and make up with another guy out on stage in the makeup. And he's, no. not, you know, he's not gonna, he's not going to. This is a total money grab. They're trying to sell it. They're they're trying to sell it with this farewell stuff, which you know they've already done that. So it's like whatever. Yeah, it's their it's their thirty eighth farewell tour, um, only surpassed by the Who, I think, for farewell tours. Uh, yeah, it's terrible. If they don't have Ace, forget about it. Ace is the one who designed half that band's look. Um, he's 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 the original guitarist. He's clearly a fan favorite that people want to possibly pay to see again. Otherwise, yeah, they they are not going to pay for this, and they don't have any. Uh, they're not touring with any uh, other headliner like they had to do in some of the recent years. With, right, like uh, with Def Leppard, the you know, one they had to tour with. Yeah. They had like Molly Crew and Def Leppard to try to, you know, pad the house a little bit. Uh, it looks like they're going out as headliners to the farewell big arenas. And if they don't have the, the original guys in it, uh, and if they for, forget about it, they're not going to put Ace Farrelly on stage without makeup. Everybody's going to boo their heads off if that happens. Uh, Paul Stanley really needs to have a reality check. I think he thinks that the you know Kiss fans are so blind that they'll pay anything to see them, and that's not true. Especially when Paul can't hit a note anymore. Right. And that pains me to say that too, because he was a great rock singer, but uh, he lost his pipes. The so farewell they have tour to make up for it in other ways with the... guys like Ace Frehley, and if they're not going to do it, hell with it. The farewell tour to hit in 2018-19 is Bob Seger's. I know you guys are getting your show back that he canceled. I saw what he was doing before he had to cancel, and he's was just awesome. I mean, he busts his ass out there. He sings every note. There's no tracks. Yeah. The band was great. Luckily, he decided to I add on to the he he added on the ones he had to cancel, and then 15 or so more, and one's Buffalo. So I'm definitely going to be at the arena that night because, I mean, the guy is still good, and I know if he was healthier, he wouldn't even pull this farewell card but he just can't perform the way he wants to and he's not going to be the kind of guy to half-ass it or whatever so I'm really excited for, for you know, that when it comes it's, around it's funny I mean it's funny he's, I mean you're a younger guy um, not you know you're not a punk millennial or anything 18 years old but um, what does it say to the younger generation though that that Still, the biggest touring bands are guys like Bob Seger. <laughs> Thirty years after their real prime, they're still the biggest reliable headlining acts in arenas. Well, yeah, uh, I did, mean did, the did biggest. You, did your generation blow it music-wise, or no? I mean, or, we have we have. I, I don't understand. 
understand why. I mean, Pearl Jam played a sold-out tour in stadiums this summer. So you're forgetting them. You're forgetting well, Foo. That, that's, you're that's, forgetting that's, Foo that's, Fighters. Yeah. That that's my I, generation. I, I didn't know that was quite your generation. Yeah. I, I thought maybe you were a really young kid when they came out. Well, I mean, I was 11 when Ten came out. So I mean, I was in high school and they were put, putting out their albums. So I mean, yeah, that's my generation. I just think it's weird that you know they, they still. I mean. Every arena, every time I pass by a Pepsi Center to see a concert, you know, a concert headline, and it's like, okay, Roger Waters or you know, Bob Seger or you know, the Who, the Rolling Stones, whatever. It's never like, you know, current band. You know, it's never well, never right, anybody current except right now. Maybe a couple hip hop acts. Right now, the hope of rock is so. There's Ghost, which to me is kind of a little bit of a gimmick. Then there's Greta Van Fleet, which is pretty much a basically a Led Zeppelin ripoff and then there's this band called the Struts. So those are like kind of the big 3 like okay. younger bands. I could kind of take or leave all three of them like I said the one is I mean total Led Zeppelin knockoff. The Struts is a little poppy okay. for me. It's not really heavy enough and Ghost is like kind of one guy and then everyone has everyone's in mass. It's kind of silly. So I I'm not into any of them but they're yeah. all gaining a lot of popularity and I want to say that the, the one either the Struts or Greta Van Fleet both of them just put out albums and one of them did really well sold like 90,000 the first week which is a lot for physical sales especially for a yeah. you know a, a young band but no I mean it's all about if you want to sell out the band selling out arenas are the ones that really built their career the old-fashioned way on yeah. FM radio and MTV. There's yeah. not a lot of post. Yeah, it's not a lot of post MTV. It's ironic because we have more digital places to hear bands than ever. And right, yeah, so but it just hasn't built an audience. Hard. Well, it's hard because there's just too many. Um, too many choices. It's like having too many choices at the yeah. grocery store. I mean, when I was a kid, we had this. These so many bands that were signed by record labels. And you saw their albums in the store because that was the only place you could hear music was to go to the store and buy it or let's put it on the radio and then go buy it. And that was it. You had a, it was like the newspaper world. The newspaper gave you what you, you know, the only choice you had for information, really. And the same was with music. And now it's just got so splintered. Newspapers can't survive and neither can, uh, you know, neither can new music. I remember when I was in high school, it'd be like, all right. I want to find a new band. So I'd watch Headbangers Ball on MTV on Saturday night. Right. I'd watch 15 videos. I'd pick a band out. And then that next day, I'd go to the mall and go to like The Wall or you know Sam Goody or whatever store. And I'd buy their album you know, on CD. And I'd bring it home. That's and exactly what I did. I'd listen to it. And it's like, yep. what's the 2018 yep. ver- version of that? I don't even know. Like, I guess you go on Spotify and you find a playlist that they made and you go through the playlist, maybe try to pick out a band that way. I guess. I guess that's the 2018 version. I don't know. Cause I, 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 I'm not saying I hate new music. Like, I like a lot of new music. I like new bands. I like, I'm not old that way. I just, they, they just can't become big stars anymore because they just, you know, it's too fragmented a world. Um, and, uh, you know, there's just so much free content out there that it's hard to, ever, you know, build up a band to be a superstar because they're, you know, they can't make any money unless, the only way to make money is, is touring, you yep, know. on the road, yeah. And uh, if you're not a big name, you can't really sell a ton of tickets. You can sell maybe, you know, a few hundred here and there if you're anybody of 
decent note, but you're not going to sell out, you know, Orchard Park Stadium, you know, like you could back in the day. You know, it's, uh, you know, Kiss would have sold that place out in two minutes back then. They were, I think they were a two year old band when they were at their height, you know, so. Now it's Guns anyway. N' Roses, Guns N' Roses and Jay Z. That's who sells out Rich Stadium now. Yeah. So, I mean, that's who they've had. I They'll... finally saw Rich Stadium, by the way, uh, for the first time ever on my last Buffalo trip, which I guess we're going to get to. Yeah, let's talk about that. Trip in a way. <laughs> but, I mean, I've never been past the stadium before, so so there it was. It was a big moment for me because I've seen so many games on TV, and yet I've never driven down that road. Boy, it's like a – it really is kind of a small area, right? It's a two-lane road, I think. Yeah, did it kind of weird you out how the stadium's kind of underground? Like street level, yeah, you're and, almost with the upper deck because the stadium is yeah, below. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, I went to some. Uh, so I drove by there, and I was killing time. I was a little early for the Sabres game, and I stopped at a barber shop, kind of not across the street from Red Stadium, but a little bit further down. The guy was like 99 years old. Uh, I was the only customer he had. I think all day. <laughs> he had like a 1955 stereo in the place. Did he use a straight uh, razor? Did not, did not take credit cards. So oh I my had to god! Leave the place to go get cash to Ugh. go to an ATM up the street, then come back, pay him cash. Thankfully, he did not kill me. Uh, I was a little worried though for a second. I definitely needed a haircut, but I was starting to really think twice about my decision a couple minutes into the haircut when he just. You know, God bless him. He's, he said he's been cutting hair in Buffalo in that very spot for 46 years. Did he use a straight so, razor? Uh, no. No. He did not. He did not offer me a shave on the back of the neck, which I kind of wanted. Yeah, because they've they actually kind of outlawed him because of diseases, I guess. But if you go, you know, like oh, probably, really? if he, probably if he knew you, he would have done it, or if you would have asked kind of on the sly. But technically, okay. they're not supposed to no, use the straight razor. Yeah, they're not supposed to use the straight razors anymore. I think the place was called Ricci's Barbershop, R-I-C-C-I. So, uh, hey, I'm glad I'm glad to uh, have gotten the cut. He's uh, he was a nice gentleman, uh, um, and uh, yeah, just leave it at that. Yeah, but um, so the Pagulas were the ones who start. They're like, we want to use the stadium more than just for games because the yeah Ralph Wilson really stopped using it. And um, so the concerts they've yeah. had there, so they had the Rolling Stones were the first one when the Pagulas, yeah. right? They had Guns N' yeah. Roses. They had yeah. Jay-Z and Rihanna, or yeah. who's his wife? Not Rihanna. Who's his wife? The other one. Uh, Beyonce. Beyonce, right? And then um, they had the boy band with that guy, Harry or something. Uh, Justin Timberlake? No. They're like British kids. Uh, they were popular almost for like a minute, and that but they're like big star kind of left off. They had a big star named Harry, and he kind of broke off of it. I think. Why can't I think of who they are? British boy band. Yeah, I'm pretty uh, sure they're British. They were really big for a minute, and they played there. That I th- I'm pretty sure that's Harry Styles was the guy. Last boy band I really heard of was you know Insane. Backstreet Boys. One Direction. Uh, well, One Direction, okay. One Direction was the name of them. Yeah. And they well, are British. Yep, uh, so those are the concerts we've had there. Yeah, so. I mean, that's, that's it. There's not a current band that can sell out Rich Stadium, right? And, 
I think that there's country acts. Like I know Garth Brooks is probably coming. Uh, country yeah, acts can sell it out too. Country I mean, music is big here. I don't I mean, like it, but it's bands. big here. New bands. Yeah, yeah. no, there's oh, no new God, bands. Huge in, Denver is Denver is huge in country. My wife is one of the biggest fans ever, and I I hate country music unless it's old old country. They pack those uh, sheds, right? So I hate country music. The country My music drives, kills in those sheds. What? The, those shed, you know, the shed places. Like, I guess you guys have Red Rocks. We got Darien Lake, you know, Saratoga. You know, those outdoor oh, yeah. venues. Just the country music just slays those. Like, I, our Darien Lake concert venue yeah. all summer is like Blake Sheldon and Garth, you know, all, Toby Keith. Oh, like, God, I'd rather be putting a cat, a room full of screaming cats and listening to yep. Blake Sheldon's but 25K, uh, easy. They my do. Wife- my wife, uh, my wife dragged me to a Kenny Chesney concert in the Pepsi Center once, and uh, I, I didn't know one song of there, him. But I'll be damned if every single person in that crowd was not singing along to every single word of that yep. song. Yeah, they like, love couldn't it. Believe it. Like, what have I, what have I, like, missed here? My wife is a huge country fan. She knows every every lyric to every song. I don't know anything. Friends in Low Places is like I don't, the I, only country song. The country artist I listen to is Johnny Cash, so I mean that's pretty much true. I got I got to admit no, to thinking but, that Friends in Low Places is a pretty cool song. I know it's by Garth Brooks, right? But I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't mind some. To- I actually like a little Toby Keith. Yeah, see, he's he's an OU guy, but I don't know. I don't know his music, so I don't even know. But anyway, so well, he it, got a song called uh, "I'm as good once as." I'm as good once as I ever was. Hmm. Uh, good songs. That's my, that's my Toby Keith song. I ain't as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. That's a pretty good line, actually. So Adrian and I have been friends on the internet for a long time now. And, uh, you know, we go back probably four or five years on this show. I remember the first time Adrian was on, and he's like, yeah, I'm like kind of out with my son. Like, do we really have to do this? And I'm like, well, just give me like 20 minutes. So I had to like kind of twist his arm. This is back when his son still talked to him. And then, yeah. then we started our own podcast, which people actually love and want us to do more. Some people, not millions, but it's got it's got its base, you know. And then a cold following, right? And then, uh, but we live far apart, so it's always you know talking on the phone, talking about you know when we before we do something like this, we'll say, how's your family, how's your wife, how's your kids, you know, we talk. So we know each other like a little bit more than I know. Well, actually, a lot more than I know most of the people who come on. So finally, the stars had aligned this year, and Adrian is working for BSN Denver, uh, where he does his fantastic Avalanche coverage. I'm sure he'll give more plugs later on that. And he's got this ridiculous trip planned where he's like flying to Columbus or Cleveland, flying to Cleveland, and he's going to drive to Columbus, and and he's going to come from Columbus to Buffalo. And he's going to be in Buffalo for a few days, and he's going back to Cleveland, I think. It's just, just To me, it just sounded just annoying. But anyway, he's going to be in Buffalo for a few days. So weeks away, we're like, oh, we'll do dinner, and, you know, it'll be great. So meet Paula. Yeah, you meet Paula. You know, it'd just be a great time. You meet Tammy, meet the family, maybe see my house, whatever. We'll see how he feels, see what we got time for. We'll figure something nice out. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it comes maybe two or three. Two or three days before, and I think I actually said to Tammy, I'm like, I bet I don't even make it to see Adrian. I'm like, I bet, because I knew I was going down. So sure enough, 
must be the day before. Um, I end up in the emergency room. I, I told this story on the show, so most people listening probably know, but I end up with a bowel blockage, and we, we discovered it was the all-time Dater Jinx, where his mere presence... <laughs> His mere presence in Buffalo called my bowels, caused my bowels to block themselves and me to end up in a six-day hospital stay. And I missed him. Yeah. So the only friendly face you're, he saw in Buffalo was Mike Harrington, not mine, or Paula, or Tanner. Sorry the jinx got you, man. I was so looking forward to that. Uh, you know, I probably would have had a dinner, um, but maybe go back to your place, see the place. I was... I was I was counting the list, man. It'll happen. I'm like, you ready for tomorrow, man, or something like that. I'm like, uh, I, I couldn't even text him. I had to call him. I'm like, this. I can't deliver this uh, news by text. So I called him. Go, called him from the six floor Millard Fillmore Suburban Hospital and said, "You're not gonna believe it, but yeah." So the dater jinx, son of a bitch. The damn dater jinx. It's. You know, I don't know exactly when the dating game started, but I swear to God, it, it can be a really live thing. Uh, it's taking a break lately, but uh, when it comes back, it comes back with a vengeance. Well, All I got... know is when I was a kid, I was—I actually yelled at my mother for coming into the room when the Red Sox were playing, because every time she did, bad stuff happens. Right? So how horrible a kid was I? A, terrible. Uh, B, it was always a kind of a reverse change, you know. I, I just always felt like if I care too much about something, it's it's going to go bad. So I probably cared too much about our meeting. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, I don't care if Steve calls me or not. You know, big deal, whatever. So he. And then everything will go great. So I'll just do that next time. <laughs> yeah, it did, not, it did not work out for us at all. So did you see our friend Mike Harrington at the game, though? I wanted to ask you about that. I did see Mike. Yeah. yeah. How, how did it go with Mike? Can I, say, can I say one thing about Mike Harrington that I never quite realized? Yeah. He's got really white teeth. Really? I had no idea. Maybe he just got him like done. Movie star teeth. It's like, you know, he's kind of an older guy like me, a little frumpy in the way. And then all of a sudden, he's like, it's this like movie star teeth. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? But yeah, he's. Uh, I did see Mike. Uh, he was doing his, you know, fourteen stories for the Buffalo News. Like, <laughs> every day, they have no staff anymore. They just hired and, a guy. Uh, okay. They hired a guy from uh, good. from that Pittsburgh site. That guy that pissed me off. Oh, DK Sports. Yes. Why did what happened on our podcast that that guy made me really mad? I forget. Oh, he was a little impatient with you, which I think. No offense, Steve. I think you overreacted just a little bit. I don't remember the uh, story. You might be right. I, I don't. I don't remember what happened. So you could be Dejan, right. Dejan Kovacevic is his name. Dejan is not a bad man. He uh, he must have. He, he's a. I could you know I could have told you this. Dejan has a million plates spinning at all times, and uh, he's one of those guys. You know, I've probably been that guy too. Like very impatient. Yeah, I don't so remember yeah, what got, happened. You got offended by that. We, uh, you unloaded on him a little bit, but uh, let's, let's let the better nature, angels of our nature prevail. Uh, he's not a bad guy. You're not a bad guy. Uh, well, yeah, my point. We can rebuild that relationship. My point was that someone left his site and is now, so they now have a second guy covering yeah, okay. the Sabres. 
But I, I think he starts oh. this week. I don't I don't know if he's any good or what. I haven't read him yet. Actually but covering the Sabres? Yeah. Huh. Yep. So Harrington's going to be the NHL at large guy? Or no, I don't think Harrington's. I don't think Harrington's job will change. I think this guy will be like the new Vogel. Yeah. I think this guy will just do what Vogel uh, did. Maybe Harrington won't have to go to all the game. You know, won't have to go to as many games. Harrington was basically doing I'm it by himself. The, I'm just surprised the athletic didn't snap up because you know they they hire only the best over there. So um, <laughs> you know I, I'm surprised. Surprised. I'm surprised there's any sports writer out there in that way. It's really athletic. Well, yeah, there's been major major Buffalo sports media beef with the athletic and the guys who left the Buffalo News who went I've there. Heard. I've, Tim I've, Graham. I haven't seen these tweets. Yeah, Tim Graham and Mike Harrington are at each other's throats. They're threatening each other to meet each other outside, and it's crazy. Yeah, I saw that. It's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, hey, I know, I know how that goes too. It's in my book, Blood Feud. Uh, A couple, couple chin to chin encounters with fellow media people. (laughs) You guys are crazy. Jason Lockenfora went nose to nose. Really, I like Lockenfora. Oh yeah. Jason Lockenfora was uh, at one point a uh, cub reporter for the Detroit Free Press covering the Red Wings, and uh, he and I went nose to nose. Wow! Well, actually, he's a lot shorter than you, right? Dave. Yeah, he is. Most people are. Actually, it was me and Keith Gave that more went nose to nose. Keith Gave, who used to be the a hockey columnist with the Free Press, too. Um, you know, he wrote, a, he wrote a really good book, by the way. He wrote The Russian Five, the book. Oh, I want to read that. From the Red Wing. Yeah, that yeah, looks it's, good. Uh, it's a good book. Uh, despite the fact that Keith, Keith and I went nose to nose, uh, you know, we took him later on. And uh, he wrote a really good book called uh, The Russian Five. I highly recommend it to, uh, to hockey fans. You know who just went nose to nose with the Buffalo media is Carter Hutton. He's had it with them already. He's only been here a month. Really? Yeah, he went. I he the this I wanted to tell you this like so after like five years of really being indifferent about the Sabers they're kind of hooking me in a little bit and the other night was the first yeah. time the other night was the first time I've gotten mad at a Sabers game in a long time like <laughs> legitimately frustrated yeah. because so they have they're playing the Flames in Buffalo so the Flames have just come from Calgary they had to play Toronto first. And you get, you know, you got, there's no flying from Toronto, so they have to bus in from Toronto, you know, yep. and then play us the next night. We've been here waiting for them. Eichel scores a beautiful goal in the first period. It's one nothing. Hutton's playing a good game. After the second period, I said, you know what? This is a game they have to win. No excuses. You have this team right where you want them. It's been a fast game. They're five periods into this road trip already. This is where you come out. You put the throttle down, you win this game three to nothing on it, you know, with an empty net or late or whatever. And they fuck around, take too many penalties, never get a second goal. Calgary pulled the goal with like three minutes left, super aggressive, got a double deflection goal to tie it with like a minute left. Then they take a penalty at the buzzer. So the Sabres start the the three on three with a four on three power play. Of course, Housley pulls his veteran bullshit, doesn't put Dolan out on the power play, okay, which is yep. takes him off his spot for whatever reason, you know, has uh, Rasmus Ristolainen out there instead. You know, instead of going Eichel, Middlestead, just going balls out for the goal, 
He fucks around. They don't get a goal. And then as soon as the penalty expires, Gaudreau scores on a two-on-one, and they lose the game. I was so mad. And then after about a half an hour, I'm like, that's actually cool because I haven't given a shit about a result of a game like in five years. Because it just it hasn't yeah. it hasn't mattered, you know? Like it just did good and ride your patch so, again. You know, and now they're getting their I ass. Think you give you, I think you short I think you short change yourself a little bit when you say you weren't that mad before. I, I distinctly remember a couple of rants of yours last year about uh, especially about the shootout. Well yeah, the opening so, night well, shootout. That that's that's true too. That was more that's <laughs> that, that was different because it wasn't as much that they lost, it was that, you know, why the fuck is this shootout, shootout specialist or whatever, Josephson or whatever his name was? Like, why is he going and not Jack Eichel? <laughs> yeah. Jack Eichel. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah Jack Eichel. Yeah. We just signed him to $80 million extension yesterday, but today we got Josephson for the shootout. Someone we got. <laughs> I don't even know where Josephson is. He's not back. So apparently his. The only. The only. The only awful game the Sabres have really played was that that game in Colorado. Yeah, that I was there for. Yeah, that was that was the one clunker they've had. No, they've been good. I mean, it's their best October yeah, in ten years or one. something. Yeah, six and four. Yeah, I'll take it. I mean, they've got a good forward line. They, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I kind of forgot that they've gotten Jeff Skinner. <laughs> it was at that game. I was like. Is that Jeff Skinner? Oh yeah, that's right. The Sabres got Jeff Skinner. Yeah, he's been dynamite too. He's been really good. I mean, he's got six goals, six he's assists. A, he's a legit forward. Now you've got Jack with him and Rothfuss on the back line. You know, three really good players right there. Uh, the Sabres, you know, still need more of well, everything. The, but the problem is it's all Jack and it's all Skinner. They're a lot better team. I mean, they look a lot better. Colorado, I think, just kind of got out on them early, and then the Sabres, I remember, had a goal called back, kind of freaked them out a little bit, and they, they re- never recovered, uh, but uh, I like that team, I mean, I'm, I'm watching them, too, I, I still watch, you know, I want to see how teams like the Sabres do, because, you know, I, I'm more interested in how they look than, than New York Rangers or some, you know, stale team like that, uh, you know, back east, and uh, so, yeah. And I think, to, I mean, you know, I think I have the right expectations. I have the right expectations. Like, I don't need them to definitely make the playoffs. Just be competitive. Just be competitive. Don't be boring. Don't don't make me indifferent. Yeah. You know? They're not going to be boring. They've got Rafa Salim. I mean, Rafa Salim's not going to, you know, they're not not boring anymore. They they still should, I mean, I don't know if Howes has put them on the first PPE yet, but he, you know. Mostly. When I was at the game there, there was a longtime coach who we both know. Yeah, you tipped was, it off. Uh, it was Bowman. You yeah, talked. Right. You talked about it. You were tweeting about he it. Like, he was like, "Why don't they have Rosso Dallin on the first PP?" I'm like, "You're asking me, Scotty? I don't know either." Yeah, he's but, been on it mostly now. Yeah, mostly. Like I said, they they held him off. They've held him off here and there. You know, sometimes played him from day one on the first PP. Oh, of course. But you know how these you know how these coaches are. You got to earn it. You know, oh, I got to put the veterans yeah. out there. I got to be veteran guy right now. Yeah. yeah. You know. guys have never won us a damn thing before. We got to keep playing them because, you know, you can't trust those kids, even though the whole league is like 19 years old now. Yeah, no, that stuff drives me nuts. And Housley has, yeah. I mean, he's been doing it since day one. And uh, the dude before him, Bowsma, was worse. So, I mean, 
it's just it's yeah. just something you can't shake, I guess, right now with these guys who've been around the league too long. They just still fall on that. I mean, they have a guy named Jason Pomville playing his 1,000th game as we're talking right now. And, I mean, he's been great. So you need veterans, you know, especially if, like, Pomville can still score. I mean, he's playing with Skinner and Eichel, which is nice. You know, and that line has yeah. that line is 34 points, I mean, which is, like, almost yeah. all of them. You know, like, that's, like, a, probably more than 50%. Of the whole team, so that's. Yeah, I, I, watched, uh, I mean, I think Jack has always been known as uh, the conference guy, but man, I, I actually walked by him in the in the hallway in, in Buffalo the day of the uh, day before the game. I mean, I practice, but I actually made the practice on the road, which is rare. Drove all the way from Cleveland that morning. Yeah, uh, uh, I couldn't believe how confident Jack was. I mean, he was like literally holding court with some like cronies in the hallway. I think I think it might have been an agent type or a, somebody like that, you know, uh, a couple other a couple other dudes that looked like sort of agent types. And he was just like he was dishing it a little bit, uh you know he was dishing a little on McKinnon a little bit, like, you know, kinda like yeah. I think there somebody said, Wow, McKinnon's off the wall. You know, great starter, you know, this guy, and I'm like, you know. <laughs> uh, it's like definitely saying, like, I'm better than him. <laughs> well, McKinnon. Nice form, but, but it was an interesting thing. Like, I don't, you know, I like that about Jack. I'm not telling tales out of school. He didn't, I don't think he was dissing McKinnon. Like, he was just like, you know, I'm the bad here. And, I'll, you know, I'm going to show up tonight. He's just a very confident young man, Jack Eichel. Uh we yeah. talked about it a lot on our sh- a lot on our show when we did it. I mean, they should have put the C on him, t- you know, a while ago because it, it's made a difference. It just has. It's it's brought yeah. something out of him. You know what I mean? It's and I know that yeah. maybe they wanted to see some of that before they put it on him, and maybe they they finally did over the summer. You know, I think he did mature. Like I had Scott Burnside on the show, who you helped me out with it, but I mean, he had um wrote wrote a nice piece piece wherever he writes is he athletic i'm not even sure but um he wrote a really nice yeah, piece yeah, about yeah. about just his mature maturation process and how you know yeah I everyone seems to notice story. kind of what you're saying just like he's kind of he's not a boy anymore you know he he was a boy i mean when he got yeah, here I mean, he was a boy not, he's not an old man either I mean, right what, he's 21, 22? yeah he's 21 yeah uh, so and i mean you've seen right. it with mckinnon too right i mean mckinnon had the fabulous rookie yeah. year but then he had some growing pains and then last year, he's an MVP. Well, yeah. Yeah, he won the Calder Trophy as a rookie. Um, had 10 points in seven playoff games. And then uh, and then he, he came in. Kind of, it looked like a bodybuilder when he came in the second year. He, I think he put on too much weight, though. And uh, he looked slower. And then he you know, he played with god-awful teammates for a couple of years. And everything just went horrible here. They had bad chemistry in the room. Matt Duchesne was a... Right, not a good influence in the room. And, you know, yeah, I mean, he yeah. went from what sixty-three to thirty-eight that points. That that really is Nathan's team right now. He's not there to see, but he he's pretty much the you know the leader of the band in there, really. Now, and uh, I think Jack needs the same kind of thing. You need to get some of those older veterans out of the way, then he could be a, a leader. You know, and uh, and I mean it, that was his fifth season, like, uh, McKinnon. McKinnon last year. This is his fifth season. I mean, Jack Eichel's playing his third yeah, season, right uh, now. or his fourth season, fifth. fourth. Yeah, so this is his fifth. 
Yeah. No, this is Eichel's say. fourth. Right. Okay. Um, God, amazing, isn't it? I mean, they're still kids, and yet you know, four fifth year guy. Right. Uh, it's such a young league, isn't it? Hockey is a. I mean, the funny thing is, most of the people who run the sport are still pretty old, you know, boys club kind of guys. And yet, you know, the whole thing is so young. I don't think the GMs, coaches still know quite how to deal with them sometimes. But the fact is, Rasmus Dalit is already, you know, um, in an element out there already. This is the league. This is, it's an 18 to 28-year-old league now. Tops. I well, mean, you look at Kate. Casey Middlestat, he was playing high school yeah. hockey two years ago. Right, two years ago, he was in the high school hockey league in Minnesota. He was at Eden Prairie yeah. High School. He didn't go to the he didn't go to the USHL until after the state tournament. So he wasn't even in the USHL yet two years ago. So I mean, so it's it literally is you talk to the you know I talk to. I talked to Mark Crawford the other night, the, the old Avalanche coach, you know, NHL coach, auto, assistant with auto. And he, he and I were like, I asked him, like, what, what's the, you know, what's the latest with the league? You know, what's the tread line here? And he's like, he's like, dude, this game is so different. He said, you know, the biggest change, the biggest thing today is guys flying across the middle are not afraid to do that anymore because they know they're not going to get hit. Um, so it's not a physical game anymore in the sense that it, it's not the thuggy league anymore. It's still pretty physical, but it's uh, it's not, you know, you know what I'm saying. Uh, right, Scott Stevens isn't going to come knock anymore. Eric Lindros' head have, off. He's like, you have, yeah, if you come across the middle in the old days, you're going to get, you're going to become Eric Lindros. Right. You know, uh, you're going to get crushed. And, uh, and now it's, Flying forwards through the middle, he, you know, he just said, like, look, if you can't skate today and you can't think fast and make decisions really fast, you are not going to make it in this league anymore. And that was not the case. And, you know, when I was a player, he was saying, you know, I mean, you could be a slow guy and just go out there and hook and hold guys and make a career for yourself. Not anymore. You've got to be really fast. Um, and so anybody like over 28 years old now can look at with a sideways look a little bit, unless you're like a, you know, a defenseman who can sort of, you know, but it forwards, you know, you're old now, 28, and uh, you know, it's a it's a different league, man. Did you see what Connor McDavid did to um, Suter the other night? I mean, that's a good, yes, de- I did. good and defenseman. I'm happy for Connor. He's got two assists so far tonight. Two, two, two assists already tonight. Nice. Yeah. I'm happy with. Yeah, I'm happy for Connor. He's also got six uh, six heart trophy votes already. Six first place finish votes already. Yeah, yeah. He's already won the heart. Yep. Yeah, I did see that. He's amazing. I mean, he's fast. <laughs> he looks like he's two steps faster than just everyone. He is. It's in like, a fast has, league. You know, <laughs> there's still only one puck. And he's still, you know, he can't, he's not scoring like eight points a game or anything. He still really hasn't busted out yet, you know, really, as a player. I mean, I know he had 120 points, and that's a great year. But, you know, that's probably the top you can get, though, in the league anyway. I mean, over a point a game, yeah, that's rare. But, you know, McDavid's not going to get two a game like Gretzky did. 
Yeah, no, those days are gone. It's a different league. It's yeah. too harder to score. Because that's what I was going to say. We can talk yeah. about how fast it is and how there's less hitting. There's still not enough scoring. There's right. a, there's because just the defense is just fast the forwards now. Right. And the goalies are so they good. Are, and the goalies are so good. And the goalies, I mean, they, they did cut down on the goalie uh, chest protector this year, which has been a lot of bitching about from goalies about that. They hate it. Um, they say they can't move. They're in a straight jacket now. Uh, they say they're getting hurt by pucks up, up high. I think they're gilding the little league a little bit, as they say on that. But, uh, uh, yeah, they still can't really. I mean, scoring is up slightly over last year. I think the latest was six point one three goals per game. Uh, I think five or five or six years ago, the average was about five point five a game. So it has gone up, but still not like the old days where it was literally like that goals a game combined. Yeah, I mean, you, you think about even when like that last huge season was what the. The one where Mogilny and Solani each had 76 goals. That was like the last one yeah. when you look at numbers that are just... And then it just... It's like the only guy scoring over 50 then was Burray, like, since, you know, so... Yeah. I was yeah. looking at the most hey, most goals yeah. per game all time. You know who it is, right? Mike Bossy. He's, like, way ahead of everyone. Right. And then... Yep. So Mike Bossy's number one. Let me think. Let me get this right. Bossy's number one. I want to say Lemieux is number two. Let me look it up. Yep. Let me look it up again so I don't screw it up and people are going to be. Yeah, we're talking goals. Yeah, this is goals per game. Yeah. And we'll call right. we'll call the cutoff. Um, we'll call it 600 NHL games. So yeah. Bossy is number one and he scored .762 goals per game. Lemieux yeah. is second with seven five, and then Pavel Bure yeah. is third with point six two three, and fourth yeah. is Ovechkin, almost identical, point six zero seven, and Gretzky. Yeah. Gretzky rounds out the top five with point six zero one. Huh. Yeah, that's the, I mean. So, like, yeah, that's... the closest on this list to anyone current is Ilya Kovalchuk. At point five zero eight. Wow. And Sidney Crosby yeah. Sidney uh, Crosby for the record is point four seven seven. Right. Malkin his, is point four seven four. His his goal scoring is gonna kinda keep declining, I think. Uh, you know, he's still a good player, but yeah. the more you play, yeah. I guess, the the you know, this is gonna well, go down. Yeah, but, he's yeah. Good goals, I guess, but Yeah, I know. I mean look, uh, What do you remember about uh, Mike Bossy? 752 games he played. Yeah. 0.762. What do you remember? Probably, about? probably the best. Probably the best pure wrist. I mean, that's a tough one because guys like uh, Brett Hall had a great wrist shot. Uh, Joe Sackick had a great wrist shot. Oh, my God. I did think he the ever. greatest wrist shot ever was Mike Bossy. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, is it the best, or was it just because of the crappy goaltending in defense? I mean, you look at the games from the eighties; they really look like they're skating in cement compared to today. Yeah, but there's no one else. There's no one else from the eighties with point seven six two goals per yeah, game. No, I'm not. Like I said, I'm not. He's a different stuff, level. Yeah. It's, he was a great player. He was. He was scary. I mean, those Islander teams. I mean, four in a row, and people forget. I mean, they went to the fifth straight finals. 
finally lost to Edmonton, but uh, uh, Mike Bossy. Uh, people still talk about Bossy, who who I talked to, who you know played the game back then. Guys like Peter McNabb. Um, yeah, they all like once you mention Bossy's name, they're like, oh, well, yeah. And he didn't play. He only played like ten years. Played seven hundred and fifty-two um, games. Yeah. 1,100 points. Probably the greatest other pure goal scorers that I would have thought of that maybe in those top five might have been uh, Phil Esposito and Bobby Hall. So Esposito uh, is, is around the top ten. He had .559, and who was the other one? Bobby Hall? Bobby, Hall's Bobby, in the, Hall. Bobby Hall and Brett Hall are back-to-back. Sixth and seventh oh. on the list. .584 and .574. Almost identical, Bobby and Brett. Yeah. Well, yeah. No. Let me ask you this because yeah. we've almost gone an hour already, and I got to put Paula to bed, and we got to wrap up because um, somehow we've yeah. done fifty plus minutes already. You've been traveling around a little bit more. What have you noticed around the league? Like what stuck out, if anything, from covering the league? Just you know, being around. Like what have you noticed? Like you've been to different arenas, you've been to some games, you've seen a okay. bunch of teams. Like what's stuck out in your mind? What have you noticed? Well. um, yeah, I traveled pretty good about last year, so I guess we'll probably start this last year. I mean, you know, I I, I had a couple of years where I worked at Bleacher Report before sort of getting back into the beat writer life. Uh, and, uh, you know, first of all, I'll say for sports writer travel like me who work for subscription sites, and well, you know, we're trying to build it by, by Airbnb is where it's at. So that's different. No more Marriott for me. Uh, I like Airbnb. I like staying in someone's house in a way. I like the new experiences of it. I've had a lot of good ones. I had one bad one. Uh, so that's different. I'm paying like I paid I paid eighty dollars for a two night stay at a full guest house in Buffalo. Uh, with a fabulous guest house that I had. I paid eighty dollars for two nights total. And I think the the rate a uh, uh, a competitor of mine at the Denver Media paid was two hundred and fifty dollars per night at a downtown Buffalo hotel that Marriott right next to the arena. Yeah. Uh, my quip to them was, "Yeah, yeah, guess, no wonder you guys are broke. <laughs> uh, I can't justify that anymore." Um, but uh, hockey, I mean, uh, you know, all these, like I said, every. All the all the front office people kind of look the same. The coaches look the same, but the players are all just so much younger. There's no old guys anymore in the league. There's no old guys to sit and talk to by the room in the room and you know talk about old times. It's mostly just eighteen year olds, and I really uh, have had to pound that Urban Dictionary again and learn the ways of the millennials to even be able to talk to these guys. Um, it's a different world. They're all into their phones, their diets, their off-season power skating coaches, and uh, you know uh, their 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 fitness coaches. Uh, you know the time they had on the you know shoot through a screen analytics. I mean, it's all just a different, brand new world in a lot of ways. And yeah, hockey's still kind of kind of still back in the old world in some ways. So I've just been struck by that aspect of the, the league. I mean, most of the arenas are the same. Uh, 
you know, uh, I enjoyed it. I haven't been to Buffalo in a few years. Looks so, nice, huh? Uh, you I see Harbor Center? It's a nice arena. I mean, it's a really nice arena. It's a nice Very area. Nice. They put a lot of money in down there, building that up with Harbor Center. and. <laughs> yeah, the, the downtown, I thought, was still a little dumpy down there. I thought it was supposed to be a little more dressed up. Uh, Just depends where you are. But, you know, Buffalo, I mean, we know Buffalo is, is not the most glamorous city. It never will be. That's part of its charm. But uh, um, I thought it was supposed to be a little more, a little more dressed up around there. But I, well, no, I still like still, don't, still, no one don't lives take there. That as a no, no, it, but you just I have to understand: Buffalo. people don't live like, there. I love Buffalo. It closes, so especially on a weeknight. I love the people. I love, I love old stuff. I don't mind dumpy. Um, I just was a little surprised. I thought the. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I'm be curious what your where you were that it was dumpy because certainly by the arena it couldn't be nicer. I mean they've spent about a hundred, two hundred, three hundred million dollars down there. So I guess we'd so, have you'd uh, have to show me where you were that it was dumpy. I don't want to get in trouble here. Don't get me in trouble here. I don't mean dumpy in a bad way. I mean dumpy in a good way. There's no such thing. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I like maybe my wife's ass in five years. If I have to try to justify it and say like, oh, it's only a little dumpy. <laughs> Like, but she's forty now. Like, okay, maybe. I'll tell you but... one thing. I'll, I'll tell you one thing. The Buffalo News needs to get a new sign. All right, the building is right next to the arena. It looks yeah. like an old coal factory. Uh, the Buffalo News still has the same like yellow lettering sign that I saw in like the well, Pagula, 70s. Pagula doesn't own that, so no one spent. And they, they, we've already <laughs> talked about how they don't spend any money. They're, they're fire. They're they're. <laughs> The, the chances of them spending money on a sign, we can't get them to spend money on like a traffic reporter. You know what I mean? Like that. If okay, I'll give you that. The Buffalo News is sad. Like they should probably just end it. I'd be fine I'm with just it. Like, come on, really? That same sign? I mean, honestly, it looked like like Charles Dickens was still on the staff or something. Like how old? I just don't looked. think our city should have to get docked because you got a hard on with newspapers. Like if you look, like look across the street from where you're standing right there, and there's a four pad beautiful capable now, of hosting NCAA the, hockey arena. There's that beautiful here, new hotel. Here's here's one criticism I have about the now that I've actually seen that it's two on top of the arena. Oh, it's awesome! Uh, it it's like, awesome! It feels like it's it looks like it's connected to the arena. It is. But it's kind of confusing. As to where you're supposed to walk and enter, um, yeah, I think it should have been set back a little more from the arena. No, nah, once you got it figured out, it's awesome. Once you got it figured out, well, it's awesome. See, I don't live in Buffalo, so that's that was a problem. Like, what is this place? It looks like it's like thrown on top of the arena in a way. I, I thought it was not aesthetically pleasing to the eye. It's a little so crammed in. Sure, I'm in there. Yeah. Well, I don't get that. I mean, Buffalo is a pretty. There's a lot of free area in there in the Buffalo's downtown, you know, triplex there to, to build on. Uh, I would have thought they'd space that out. Maybe get a little call in a district, you know, you get a little... See, know, this is the problem with... This is me with the problem of me being in the hospital and you tooling around with 95-year-old barbers in See? Orchard Park. I know! As, as, you're, well, as this is what you took home with you. This is what you took home with you, that... You stayed at some dumb B and B for forty dollars. That's like your big victory in the city. And then your negatives are that the stupid newspaper has an old sign, and the arena and the Harbor Center are too close together. It's like 
you missed everything behind there where they have all the entertainment district built up and all the nice stuff back oh. there. You know, you didn't spend any time in the Chippewa district of the city where all the partying and all the restaurants and all the expensive stuff is. You know, did you even get one chicken nope. wing while you were here? No, I didn't. See, I that mean, was... it's just a bust of a trip because of the Dater Jinx. It ruined the whole thing. Uh, you're right, because I should have had you to do to, to play tour guide. On right. I would have shown you. To do district to go. Yeah, I would showed you. I said, this is what Pagula Money built here, and this is what Pagula Money built Andrew. here. And this is where you eat, and this is where you stay. I mean, it didn't help that you're like 20 miles away from the arena. I ate supermarket sushi when I was in Buffalo. Oh, my God. Oh, kill me. Were you at least at Uh, Wagmans? I think the place was called... uh, Wagmans, at least? What was the name of that that supermarket chain out in the Burbs? Wagmans. uh, uh, What? Wagmans. No. uh, Tops? There you go. Oh, God. See, so you didn't even go to the right supermarket. Uh, yeah, you know what? The sushi wasn't great. Right. See, if you uh, would have went to Wegmans, you would have had good sushi, but you went to Tops. You didn't uh, even go to the right... I didn't know that. See, see I didn't have a tour guide. Yeah, see, this is... See, I'm uh, pissed. I'm pissed. Uh, me too, man. All right, I got to put... See you on this, I got to put my daughter to bed. I love Buffalo. I do... Here's the thing. Like, I love Buffalo. I mean, I took my honeymoon in Niagara Falls. Uh, it's uh, it's a great American city. I love the Buffalo News too. By the way, it's really and people. I'm not making this up because I said they have a terrible sign. What they do? It's still a good paper. Like I tweeted during the Buffalo trip, the front page of the Buffalo News, uh, and said I'm enjoying reading this here from my Airbnb. So, uh, all right. Well, why don't you plug your shit? No, no. Plug your shit. Plug your podcast. Yeah, all right. Do all that because so, I gotta go. Oh God, I'm like a. Uh, Carnival Barker now. Let's do some pod. Let's do here. some. Uh, let's do some Lonely Rink podcasts in November. You're not traveling. Let's do a couple. We Anytime, can talk more. Man, I've said it for everybody who's listening right now. I'll say it to you. I say it to our audience. Anytime you want to have me on, you just have to call me. Um, I don't like to do the heavy lifting. That's why you were perfect for that run showrunner spot for our uh, our podcast. All right. Uh, well, well, let me get this out. It's uh, at the end of the rink. At Lonely Rink Pod on Twitter. Follow us on there. We'll try to do a couple in November and we can do more of this. But get your plugs out here for people who only listen to this one. Uh, okay, so I work for the subscription site called DSN Denver. It's not called The Athletic. It's called DSN Denver. We cover all four teams, credentialed reporters, travel to, to many, many games, uh, many games, ball teams, Especially the Avalanche. Probably covered about 75% of the road games last year. And, uh, yeah, go to bsndenver.com. If you're into Denver sports, you want to read me, you want to read our other young youngsters on our staff, go to BSN Denver, hit subscribe. Get yourself a deal for like, you know, 20 to 35 bucks a year. We'll get you a full year of our coverage. Um, my other, my other site that I write for now, Newly, uh, newly attained dater freelance job is for uh, gambling. dot com. I am a uh, uh, gambling expert now, Steve. If, uh, oh, nice. if you want to know the over under of favorite game next game, uh, you just let me know, and I'll give you a secret tips. Uh, gambling. dot com seem to be also bookies. dot com. Uh, 
Steve, I actually think you should have a show on this at some point. That, that what's going to happen really soon in the media landscape is there's going to be a lot of writers that are stepped up or media people in general who, who gambling sites think can give them any kind of edge or insight. Uh, the new wave in, in sports media is, is going to be gambling verticals, mark my word. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. All right, buddy. I have, uh, I'm out of time. I got to go. It was fun. I will. Okay, um, we'll touch Talk base. And we'll, we'll do. Uh, we'll do more podcasting we'll this do, month. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll All right. Figure it out. Sounds good, man. Okay, man. I want to thank my friends, Adrian Dater and Jeff Perlman, for being on the podcast this week. Really appreciate that. Don't forget, you can find this podcast and all of our podcasts on our SoundCloud page, which is soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. You can also find it on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and hopefully wherever you are catching podcasts. If not, please reach out. Email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com. And let me know, and I'll help set it up. Now, if you also would like a copy of The Big Fella by Jane Levy, or a copy of The Last Days of Letterman by Scott Ryan, or a copy of Football for a Buck by Jeff Perlman, you can email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com as well. And don't forget, you can find me at Twitter at sports underscore casters. I am also wanted to plug some friends. The... First of all, Writer Slinging, Slinging Yang, that's Jeff Perlman's podcast. You can find more information about Writer Slinging Yang on his Twitter, at Jeff Perlman. Uh, Adrian Dater kills it. If you have any interest in anything related to Denver sports, or even if you just want to support a startup, guys just out there busting their ass for 25 30 bucks a year uh, at BSN Denver, please check that out. They have a pot. They have. They do like nightly avalanche podcasts, you know, like game reactions. They do all kinds of shit. Broncos, Rockies, Nuggets. They cover all that. Wanted to make sure I got that out. When I had Scott Burnside on a few weeks ago, I made sure to make a comment about how ridiculous I thought it was that Adrian wasn't hired uh, for the position uh, at the Athletic when they started covering the Avalanche. But what are you gonna do? Uh, also. Greetings from Allentown, the best one-man wrestling podcast in the world by my friend Peter Winson. Continental Wrestling he covered this week. He schooled me on it. I didn't know a thing about Continental Wrestling, uh, and it was a great hour and 25-minute listen or so. Uh, Peter and I work on the Adams Division podcast together. We're going to do one on Survivor Series, uh, ranking them 87 to 98. In the next couple weeks, because it is November... And uh, that means that that is right around the corner. All right, with all that said, uh, one last thing for today. Now, the last couple one last things have been pretty heavy, um, pretty heavy stuff. And, and it's by design in the sense that I want to make one last thing as personal as possible. I want it to be about my life. I want it to be about me. 
Because I think this show, what this show has evolved to in the post-Don era, of course, Don is always welcome if you'd like to do a show, and hopefully he'll do one soon. Uh, But one thing that it's evolved to is a lot of me interviewing and not much else in between. My favorite thing to do is interviewing. You know, I love doing the interviews. I I don't love setting them up necessarily sometimes, uh, but I do love doing them. I, I love the freedom that I have on this show to just kind of ask people who interest me things that interest me. But I think that maybe, and I could be totally wrong on this, but I think that maybe people who do listen to the show are more interested in that when they know me or some part of me. And the feedback has been good. I've gotten emails from people who said, hey, it's good to hear you're feeling better or whatever. And I've actually been working with my brother Greg on this, just kind of like what he thinks. Did I do I go too far? Is it unco- you know? Is it uncomfortable? Whatever. But I'm trying to make them personal. I, I'm trying to give you guys a window, guys and gals, a window into what I'm about, what my life is about, and just kind of talk about something that happened. But I'm also not going to force it. Like I'm not going to, you know, hey, come on here and and try to make myself cry about something or whatever. But Look, it's November 2nd, so that means it was Halloween this week, so I thought I'd talk about that for a minute. Uh, Jeff and I were talking, I think it was Jeff and I were talking about how quick, we were talking about his son Emmett and kind of working with him on the book, how quick time flies, and it's such a cliche with kids, but, you know, Paula, I look at myself as a young parent, and I look at Paula as a young daughter, she just had her third Halloween already, you know, she's already been out trick-or-treating three times, so that is a little perspective, at least for me, on how quick this does really go to think that she's already been, she was Minnie Mouse the first year, she was an elephant the second year, and this year she was Doc McStuffins, which was totally her choice. And uh, to think that she's done that three times, it it does it does give you a little bit of perspective. But it was kind of a, a, a it was kind of a nasty day uh, in Buffalo uh, that day. Um, and it looked at some points like Halloween was going to be a little bit of a washout here, which wouldn't have been that big of a deal because I'm going to tell you something about my wife. She keeps my daughter really busy, uh, during Halloween season. I think we counted over 10 different events that she went to, whether it's trick or treating at the mall or trick or treating at a shopping plaza or, uh, a gym. My nephew and Paula went to a gym, uh, called Roly Polies. I don't know if that's a national thing or not. I don't. I have no idea. Uh, but it's just basically like an indoor playhouse type gym for little kids. And they had a Halloween event there. She had a Halloween event at her, her ice skating lesson. She had a Halloween event at her dance class. I mean, she was in and out of that costume. It had to be 10 times. So, But she knew trick-or-treating and she wanted to go trick-or-treating. So luckily, right around 6 o'clock, it kind of cleared up. It wasn't cold. So as long as it wasn't raining, it wasn't a bad night. And we ended up taking her just around the block. And it was my wife, my dog, Colston, Paula, and I. And we went trick-or-treating. We probably did 30 houses or so. And she loved it. And uh, we did just enough because she was pretty tired when we got home. Uh, But it was fun. I mean, it was a cool thing to take her. Growing up, my brothers and I, we weren't big Halloween people. We would go out and do the trick or treating thing, but we got bored with it. We're not we weren't big chocolate eaters. We weren't 
don't know, it just wasn't a big deal at our house, but man, Paula, she loves it. And then, so here's the funny thing. So she goes to bed on think uh, on the 31st and she wakes up on the, in the, in the, in the morning on November 1st. And the first thing she said to Tammy was, mommy, it's Christmas time. So she is passing on Thanksgiving and we are transitioning right into Christmas here. Uh, I won't be surprised if my Christmas tree is up like, you know, November 15th this year because she's fired up. We're going to take her to see the Grinch movie that's coming out, which I'm really excited about. And all she cares about there is popcorn. She heard that there's going to be popcorn. She hasn't been to a movie yet. But yeah, Thanksgiving, not a big thing for me. But Christmas is. And it seems like it's kind of trending that way in my house. So we're going to be kind of steamrolling through November. And uh, getting into December, we'll be talking about Christmas carols and watching Christmas movies. And it be interesting to see what her third Christmas is like. Because she really does get it this year. I think the light bulb has went on about what Christmas is. She can't wait to talk to Santa. She's got her list ready. So goodbye Halloween. Thanksgiving will barely know you. And let's go. Christmas time. See you next week. Chase Miss